kind of Bible's that, man? I like that. That's that Henry Morris study Bible. It's a big one. I collect Bibles, you know. I love them. Well, you know, I've been I've been encouraging everyone to purchase a paper Bible. Absolutely. Right? And yeah, it's it's the number one seller of all time. So purchase multiple copies of it. And why do we encourage you to purchase a paper Bible? Well, some of y'all might think that we have to put on our tinfoil hat to say this, but I'm convinced that it's a possibility that online versions of God's Word will at some point be manipulated. I've already heard it happening with NIV version. Yeah. Where there's things that have already been changed in it, so I don't update my Bible app. Really? I just leave it. Huh. I don't know if that's true, but I've got plenty of paper copies. Well, and and I think that people can say, well, you know, the different the different versions of the text, the NIV, the King James, the whatever, there's, you know, quite a few of them out there. So I'm I'm not talking about the the words like like the that maybe the the way that the, the the original text has been interpreted. I'm talking about I believe that there will be whole segments yep. of the Bible edited out of the manuscript mm-hmm. at some point. Uh, maybe I'm crazy. I, I'm just, I, I have no, I, I have nothing to, to be able to, like, there's no timeline on it. I'm saying that it is a, a possibility, you know, so that's why we're talking about buying paper copies of Bibles. And yes, we also have Bibles everywhere mm-hmm. because... It's just handy to have around, you know. Can't ever have too many weapons. No. Well, that's the truth. I had to stop buying guns, though. Well, that's a two-edged sword is what I'm saying. (laughs) (laughs) I had to quit buying guns, so I just started buying more Bibles. I went to the gun store today, and I was coming out, and here come Chad. I was headed to the gun store. There you go. They got anything new in there? No, I'll beat you there. Well, last time I went in there, I bought two guns. I bought a shotgun because Joe Biden, I I saw his uh, video, you know, he, he talks about home defense. You don't, all you need is a double barrel shotgun. Yeah. You go out, if you hear something going on, somebody's trying to breach your door, come, break into your house, go out on the balcony yeah. Or your front porch and just fire two blasts into the air from a, a shotgun. And that's all you got to do. Yep. So I went and bought a shotgun. I'm good. Uh, and I bought a little AR-15. But it's it's chambered in 22. That 22 caliber. That no good. I know. I mean, it's only good for, you know, I guess hunting, small game and stuff. But if you want home defense, just buy a double-barrel shotgun. You're going to be good. I mean, that's straight from the top. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Straight from the top. You could even have a, if you wanted a single shot to cut down, you know, on the weight in the gun, you just have a single shot and just load you another round in. I have a shotgun because I like the sound. Well, yeah. <laughs> now I'm ready. Well, the, but here's the problem with that. You, 
your wet if you keep a weapon in your home it is of my opinion that you should have a round chambered in that weapon mm-hmm. all right and and let me tell you i know people might not if people carry guns without a round chambered they have weapons in their home that are that are you know whatever beside their bed wherever and they, there's not a round chamber because they're thinking, well, it's safer this way, right? And, and yeah, you're right. It, it is safer that way. But I can promise you, unless you are highly trained, if you find yourself in a scenario where you are having to pick up that, that firearm to defend yourself or your family, your adrenaline is going to be maxed out. And you know what you're going to do? You're probably gonna even you're probably gonna even forget to flip your safety off. You're gonna reach up there and grab try to pull the trigger, right? Yeah. Well, well, then you're gonna think, oh, well, oh, the safety's on. Then you're gonna flip your safety off. Then you're gonna pull the trigger, and you better have a round chamber, because by this time, it's too late if you got a chamber around. So, keep that baby hot, man. Keep it hot. <laughs> well, um. We got brother Paul Wilder on the podcast today. Paul, it's been a while since you've been on the podcast, man. What you been up to? Working and raising youngins and doing what I do, you know. What's changed since we last sat down and recorded? Well, well, I finished the book. Um, and, of course, I've got a daughter at Barry. She finished her first year at Barry. just came home this weekend. So we had a good Mother's Day with her, and um, my oldest son is getting married in July. He's so we got wedding planning going on. Mm-hmm. I don't have a lot of involvement in that; just uh, the checkbook, you know. And uh, and I've got three boys, so just one girl. So hopefully that'll help my checkbook on the marriage side of things. And of course, getting ready, training for the. Uh, Jewel, Georgia Jewel, 100. And I had a rough end of the year last year. I did a, the 50-miler with Blake. Yep. And then I went and tried the Duncan Ridge again and timed out at 24 miles and was really – I think I thought I was just going to be able to go do it because I was already in shape from the 50, but I think I was a little beat down, a little worn out, probably didn't let myself recover enough. So I took a lot of time off. So I'm really just getting back into the swing of good runs. And then – uh guess that's about it. But the biggest thing recently was the Proving Ground. Uh, yeah. That was really a monumental experience. I, I went into it at a time when I needed it probably more than I even realized, and uh, that was a, that was a wonderful experience. Well, I'm so. happy to hear that. Yeah. Well, um, I mean, I'm just – I'm so thankful that you got something out of it, man. Uh, you got hopefully a lot of good things out of it. I mean, you're a, you're a high-level – leader and uh, it's just so rewarding to me to hear when we have high level leaders that have been leading teams and leading people and leading their families in a good way healthy way come out to these courses and they still get something from it Mm -hmm. you know if you you know if you have a student out or a team member out that's kind of just getting started in life or doesn't have a lot of experience you expect them to get a lot out of it you know but when you've got high level leaders like paul i mean how many people you lead at school well i've got um about 88 
staff members total count you know that counts food service staff and and bus um probably more closer to 80 that i pretty much you know i'm responsible for on a daily basis and that's a lot but um, even kids i mean how many kids you got in there well this year we got about 620 in person and somewhere around 100 virtual and you're leading them I and you're leading those kids that's your job just yeah. as much so as the it is as the adults. absolutely but directly 80 people i mean that's a in the seal teams that's a um that would be like on the troop chief level so go platoon chief up to troop chief the troop is actually leading troop chief is a high level position right the troop chief basically reports to the uh command master chief right so troop chief level leadership and you come out and you still get something out of the mission and to me that's just so rewarding makes me want to keep going man mm -hmm. which we are keep we have three troop january 2022 yep the proving grounds the registration's open and filling up and filling up yeah we so some sign up today yeah caps out at 25 that team does you can go to 307project.com if you want to check that out if you're interested in coming out um so how about running man what look you did the 50 right what yeah. happened what happened at duncan ridge I, I know that's a really hard course i mean that for y'all don't don't that don't know the duncan ridge 50k is a is a uh, race has been around for a while it's across one of the hardest sections of trail here in North Georgia called the Dragon Spine. And it's it's a it's an old surveyor cut that just follows a, a ridge line and it literally just goes from summit to gap to summit to gap repeatedly for about 15 miles then you turn around and come back. So what ha that's the second time you had ran that race, right? Third time. Third. So I'm one for three. I, mm -hmm. So that's the first. That's where I met you. Mm -hmm. um, so we did it that first time, and I had torn my... You had the black hamstring. I had a <laughs> torn adductor muscle and uh, from a kickball thing at school. I'd done a 15-mile run the day before, and then that Sunday afternoon, we were playing kickball. And as soon as I kicked and I took off to run the first, I was like, that hurts. And it, it was swollen huge and purple. So I had like, that was about five weeks out. And so I took, I basically, as soon as I could get on a bike after a week or so, I got on the bike and, you know, worked upper body, did push-ups and sit-ups and tried to stay healthy. And uh first day I ran was, I think, the Friday before. And I went out on in my shoes, broke in some shoes and <laughs> tried to just make sure I could take steps. And, yeah. and it really felt good overall until about 13 miles is when i started really getting labored and it wasn't just my leg i don't think cardiovascularly up the hills i was you know as strong as i needed to be you could probably tell that by the reduction in conversation but um it was uh that was an awesome experience you know i remember i asked blake uh i said let me have your phone i'm gonna call amy and i'll just turn around and go back to the last aid station and uh you looked at me and said paul are you sure you want to do that and uh I knew I was holding y'all up, and that so that was the main thing. And uh, but then I decided, you know what? If I time out, I time out. I'm not going to quit. And so that was kind of a life lesson for me, having not you know done an ultra before. That was my first ultra, and it's when I did it the next year, and I was successful. 
on my on my Garmin, it was thirty two miles with ten thousand five hundred and some odd feet of elevation. So it was, and I did it in the pouring rain. And you, it's you brutal. Yeah, yeah. It's brutal single track. Yeah, that dude. That weather that year. I remember coming around this the the front side of Coosa Ball, and that wind hit me, and I did it with mom. Yeah. But we just did the we just did the uh, the thirty k. You guys did the fifty k, and man, that thing was brutal. And and I was stuck with mom. I couldn't move any. <laughs> I couldn't move any faster than she wanted to move. So I was out there in a little rain jacket and a pair of tights, about to freeze to death. If I'd have been by myself, I could have ran faster and warmed myself up. But that weather was rough, man. It was. So that, you know, that kind of became my mission. You know, after I failed, I got, I was like six minutes behind the cutoff at the turnaround, which even if I'd have been able to turn around, I'd, I would have, the next one would have caught me. Um, but I did everything I could do to get to there. And then um, I was frustrated. So I wound up running down the road <laughs> that Amy was supposed to come meet me on. And um, I wound up, you know, just really getting focused on that for the next year and uh, was able to do it. Um, I only, you know, only made the cutoff. I, I think I made it, made it by about 18 minutes when I came by you. The I came by year. you and mom and yeah. that ne- next year, and it really was an awesome feeling to have that accomplished. Natalie and Amy were my crew, and they did a great job of helping me. And then um, there were some people I knew from my community, from my town, that I didn't know were running it. So I got to see some people that I knew, but – I was a great – I was the first ultra I completed. And then last year, Blake and I did the 50 together. And uh, that was interesting, wasn't it? Mm, oh, yeah. Was that easier or harder than the Duncan Ridge 50K? I mean, what what made it interesting and, and what happened? Because I wasn't with you guys. Yeah. I was doing the 100. I would say it was way easier. Um, this is the Georgia Jewel, by the way, yeah. the Georgia Jewel 50-miler. So it's got about 8,000, maybe 8,500 foot of elevation in that 50 miles. And so just 10,500 foot of elevation in 32 miles just wore me out. Plus, it's got real strict cutoffs, and I think that's the big thing. Um, I just had some really bad miles um, in in the Duncan Ridge race. But in the 50-miler, I started off miserable. I, had, I bought some shoes that everybody recommended, and I tried them, and I hated them. But I was like, I spent $140 on this pair of shoes. <laughs> I'm going to use them. So I said I'll start with them, but I can change. What were they? That Lone Peak. Okay. I don't do really well with a zero drop, and I, you know I had trained in them. And I didn't buy them right before the race. I trained in them and ran in them, and they're just bulkier. Um, I like the Speed Cross um, S- Solomon. Solomon, yeah. yeah, yeah. We just did a shoe review on uh, YouTube, and we talked yeah. about why we don't run an ultra or ultra anymore. But yeah, so you but you went ahead and I, went with them. Yeah, I went with them to start with, and. About, I think it was about mile 13, I really started struggling. My ankle, my right ankle felt like it was, um, felt like a high ankle sprain almost. And and that happens to me every now and then when I'm running. But if I stop and stretch it and just kind of let it play, it's almost like it gets out of a groove or something, and then I get it back in a groove. And so I, Blake was running ahead just a little bit and uh, trying to, you know, just move, but check on me every now and then. I eventually got, on the downhills, I was able to kind of catch up. And um, in my poles, I had a pole that I was using my daughter's poles, and they they're collapsible, mm-hmm. and they kept collapsing. Um, so I went back to the ones that you gave me that are the diamond 
stay together. So I had a couple of issues with my gear, but a big part of it was my ankle was hurting. And the whole time I was dealing with some uh, serious plantar fasciitis in my foot that was, you know, it was hurting, but I was just pressing through. And I, when we got to mile 18 at that aid station and Amy was there and I was able to change shoes and uh, I sat down and changed shoes and got going again. And I told Amy, I said, no matter what, we're finishing this thing. So if I come whining, you tell me to shut up and let's go. <laughs> and uh, she wouldn't do that. So I'm glad that didn't come to that. But Blake was with me, so I knew I had that. <laughs> and once we got to the turnaround, I I knew it was easy. It was easy day then. And then we got to mile 40. And Blake was having some trouble breathing, weren't you? Yeah, I had, had some respiratory stuff. Cough and fit. Yeah, I had a pecan <laughs> at the aid station. <laughs> Dang, I shouldn't have brought those pecans. From, from I, I thought this chucker was gonna fall out on resurrected last night. I, I was, I was just, I was over here taking notes just because I was prepared to t- pick up the message when he decided to walk off and have a coughing fit. Listen, <laughs> y'all know I don't talk much, and when I have to, I try to get something in place to where I, to, it's like a cop out for me. Like, t- and you know I can't. Do the rest of this match. I got a cough. He told me last night his talking muscles just ain't built up. He's got to start talking all the time. And I, I'd hit that point where I was pushing into strength. <laughs> I was, you know, I was capable that first fifteen or twenty minutes. But where I really grew last last night was in that last twenty minutes where I was just running on strength, doing all I could to talk, to talk. without coughing. <laughs> Gotta love it. Well, you know, I, as a teacher. You know, at the beginning of the year, the first part of the year, I talk the very first day usually, or sometimes the second day, I do, I get all the grade levels. Each grade level, they go to specials a certain part of the day. So I get them all in the bleachers and I talk through some uh, some principal-centered character stuff, you know, at the beginning of the year. And by the end of the day, like I'm drinking water all day, but by the end of the day, I sound like football practice, you know, and, oh, yeah. and I go home and I can't talk. So I know how that feels. I don't. I don't think I had any coughing fits though. You can't have coughing fits now with COVID. <laughs> That's dangerous. So ain't nobody gonna come in this. You in can't this have studio. a coughing fit unless you're virtual, son. Oh, that's right. So uh, yeah, that was. We got to that right after mile forty. A little bit after mile forty, I think was uh, when you know we we started getting to some places you could run pretty good, and um, and then Blake was. Uh, and I couldn't run. Having a, <laughs> Having a coughing fit. And then the last, I guess it was the very last aid station, I hadn't had any stomach issues the whole race. And then all of a sudden, I was on my hands and knees feeling like I wish I could get sick. But um, but once once we got up and going, we were fine. And we didn't run it fast, but we finished it. To me, the, the 50 mile versus the 50K, I think I've done them both. And I think that the Duncan Ridge, it, it like, to me, it just hurts. Like, if you're going to run it and push, it just hurts. Whereas the 50-mile really more or less just sucks. Like, it's just a lot can go wrong. It gets drug out. And, I mean, it's going to be even more so for 100-mile. But, th- to me, that was the main difference between the two. And I did the same thing you did, Paul. I just We just finished Iron Mountain. And I was like, yeah, I'll go do that race. I ain't got to train that much more for it. And I went out there and did the same thing. Timed Swallowed out like you up. 20 what, 25 miles or something? Yep. Yeah. About the same t- place. So then last year when I finished the 50-miler. Well, well um, the 50-miler, 
that Paul's talking about, the Georgia jewel. The difference is, one, that, that Blake's, what Blake said, but the, the real difference to me between the, the Duncan Ridge 50K and the Georgia Jewel 50 miler is on the Duncan Ridge course, there's nowhere to, to, to make up for the mistake. You can't get behind the clock on that course because you're not going to make time up, yeah. right? So you have to stay way out ahead of the clock yeah. all the time because then if something bad happens – at least you, yeah, at least then you, it doesn't set you back past the cutoff. But now at the Georgia Jewel, there are sections on that course where you can make up mm-hmm. time if you have a stomach problem, if you have an ankle problem, if you have a coughing fit, whatever you can make. <laughs> you we, can make up time on it. Didn't we pass Chad when you was when your ankle was bothering you? Yeah, we come by. We were coming this way, and I was trying to not not look like I was wimping out. He looked like a ghost, didn't he? Yeah, I Chad couldn't tell. Said, I seen him up but a couple hundred feet, and I said, what in the world is I coming down the trail? I, I thought I would, might have been hallucinating, and I said, well, I've never hallucinated before, and I ain't that far in. As he got closer, he had a little bit of color to him. But Here comes Casper. <laughs> I had a terrible time at that race. Still got fifth place. Yeah. But I had a terriblest time at that race. <laughs> I just went into that race with – zero training yeah i just went in there thinking well uh, let's do this it's 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 right up the road it's an hour up the road why would you not go run it it's all the trails that we run so yeah. all right you got that 50 mi- you got that 50 miler under your belt now you go back to the duncan ridge why'd you go back you I, already conquered it i'm weird about like i like I like doing the same things over and over again. I, I really wanted to run it. I wanted to run it in nine hours or under nine hours, and I thought I could do it. Um, I know y'all that y'all think that sounds crazy, nine hours for a 50K, but I'm telling you, go go to Vogel State Park and and do the Dragon Spine, Coosa Backcountry Trail to the, to the DRT, and you'll see what we're talking about. At 230 pounds. <laughs> solid muscle yeah. yeah so uh but you know and, and it's also the experience like like you say you know the relationships with people the race director is super cool it's a neat um the people that work the aid stations are really nice and uh just some cool cats different kind of characters and and it was something my daughter and my wife did with me that i enjoyed and it's right before our uh, Thanksgiving break. So I have time to recover. So I was like, you know, I've already put all this work in on the 50 miler and uh, didn't really like my time on a 50 miler and thought, you know what? I, I got another chance here. <laughs> and I took that chance. I went through the, the halfway point. I wasn't, I was on pace where I wanted to be. And then uh, on the way back, um, one of the climbs just really, I, like I said, I don't usually have stomach issues. I got some stomach issues. I wound up laying on a rock for a second. And um, and I, I rarely sit. Like on a course, I don't usually stop, you know, more than, you know, I might walk for a minute, get my water, do whatever. But I don't usually stop unless I have to stretch something or something like that. I stopped because I was feeling nauseous and, you know, my stomach got out of sorts for a minute there. And then, uh, so I wound up having like a th- I don't remember. It was a 20 high twenties mile. And that's what that one mile just ripped me apart. And like you said, you can't make it up. The only place you might can make up time 
is right after that 24 mile mark because then there's one more big climb but then there is some flat and downhill sections there that are actually pretty uh pretty groovy and i'd right before that 24 mile mark there's some flat spots that i was able to run i was feeling good about that but um i just didn't didn't have an me, and i really think it was just fatigue i don't think it was mentally i think i was strong i was uh excited about the opportunity i was hitting everything all along until i got uh, probably about 17 miles in and that's when that uh it hit me hard and but I was proud of it still, even, you know, getting 24 miles in, you know, about 8,000 some odd foot of elevation. And, um, you know, I worked hard and took some time off, went to the, the beach. And I think that's about when I was wrapping up the book. And uh, so, you know, it was it was tough to fail, especially after you've done it. And I think that's what was in my mind. There's no way I'm going to fail. Even if I run it in 945, yeah. I'll finish it. What's the cutoff? It's 10 hours. 10 hours, okay. And, and the year before, I think, when I was successful, it was like, I think I was 942 is where I finished at. Mm-hmm. And then, uh, and after that race, I don't know, you know, I, I got done and I really wanted to kind of hang out and visit a little bit, but my stomach, when, right when I finished, it was like my body said, oh, you're done now, okay. And, boy, I was hurting. And, uh, but I wound up, it was a, it was a good experience. Yeah. It, it'll do that I, did you did you uh did you maintain the standards that you set forth for yourself to live by though oh absolutely i didn't quit and i didn't you know and that one of the big things is how you carry yourself and what what yeah. you do in the race like i never got i didn't get to the place where i was uh where i wasn't able to enjoy the beauty of what was out there um you know, I, a lot of times while I'm out there, I'll quote, we have these little scriptures we do with the kids. It's ABC scriptures. That was how we taught our kids a lot of scriptures. So, you know, A is a merry heart does good like a medicine. So when I started getting down or kind of, you know, where I knew I was getting behind, I'd let, I'd say those scriptures out loud while I was running. And um, so I, I felt like it's just a great opportunity in suffering to be able to overcome. So even though I didn't finish the race, I, I had a good attitude, had great joy when I got in the truck. I was, uh, I was very disappointed that I didn't finish. I was very disappointed that I had those bad miles, but I don't really know that there was anything I could have done differently. So I felt like I laid it all out there. And, mm-hmm. you know, the only thing I could do better is lose some weight. So for before this hundred, <laughs> I'm going to lose some weight, get closer to 200 and, uh, get the miles in and it'll be good. Well, we had a conversation the other day and, you know, yeah, losing weight's gonna help you. But you're you're one, you're a muscular guy. You like to lift, you like to do a lot of body weight, massive numbers on push ups and stuff like this. And so, you know, losing weight in a lot of cases means sacrificing strength. So you gotta make up your mind about that. But then I think too, we had a conversation the other day about how you're training and you know I think the expectations that you had for a training load based off of some resources that you found online, which a lot of you guys that run, you decide you do want to go run an ultra. That's the first, that's the first thing all of us do when we decide we want to go run an ultra and we don't have a buddy to, to kind of coach us through it in I'm not the type of guy to hire a running coach. I mean, that's just never really even 
been been something that I would consider doing. But uh, you go online and you look, and there's all kinds of training programs out there, right? And it's funny, when you read these training programs, you have to wonder if the guy that wrote them actually did yeah. the miles. <laughs> like, it's really easy to sit down and, and, and build out this really, really uh, extensive, super intense training program. And you can say, man, yeah, this was, if somebody did this, boy, it would really yeah. work. <laughs> They'd be in shape, right? And they most of them call out, like, that you need to do a, a long run, by long run, like 20 miles to... 50k 20 to 30 mile long run every week and you know and then they got speed work in there and they got all this and it's like for me personally I I think that's way way overkill I mean I very very rarely have a day where I run over about 15 miles maybe once a month I'll do something in the 18 to to 21, 22 mile range. Um, now, as you get closer to your race, obviously, you know, maybe eight weeks out, you can have two or three consecutive weeks that are, you know, high mileage where you are, you, you do do a long run every week. But you know, Paul, you're a long ways out from your 100-miler, which that's going to be, you're going to do the Georgia Jewel, right? 100-miler. And that, that'll be in September. We're recording this podcast in, uh, what month is it? May. May. We're There's, recording this. I think it's po- February or something. We're, <laughs> we're recording this podcast in May. So he's got till September. So, yeah, man, you just got to worry about, you just got to stay fit, really. Uh, and I know well, that's a vague term to most people. Staying fit to me is just eating healthy, moving your body, running, CrossFit, what whatever you're into, um, but not really focusing on doing these super super long, hard training runs or big sessions in the gym, because the human body, it can it can handle quite a bit of stress, but it can't handle it. You can't you can't keep it at the red line for. In my experience, more than a few weeks at a time, our stuff just starts to break down. Yep. You know, so I, I hope you backed off of that a little bit. Oh, yeah. Yeah, I've – I think the big shift was, you know, in training for the 50-mile, actually, you know, my 50-mile training plan worked well for me other than that, like I said, a foot issue I had. Um, I did a lot of back-to-back long runs, but it was usually like a – you know, it might be a 15-miler and a 10-miler. Yeah. But the reason I did that was not so much to uh, – it was to replicate what I was dealing with because during the week I ran only once or twice because of my schedule. I get up really early. Um, I can work out easily. What I've tried to adjust to be kind of – for what we talked about, I've tried to adjust to where – like this morning I got up with my headlamp and ran – you know, I just ran three miles this morning before work. And so uh, trying to be more consistent, do shorter mileage, more consistent. And – um the workouts, a lot of the workouts I do, a lot of air, you know, air squats, a lot of things that where I still get good fitness with my muscles. Of course, I have a full gym down there, so I do I do what I like to do. Um, but I am trying Which to make sure. It can be sure. dangerous too. Yeah, that can. Do what you like to do. That yeah. can be dangerous too. <laughs> um, no, I mean, I think you hit the nail on the head. For, 
for me that that is the key to ultra running is consistent consistently running not always high mileage but then also just being on your feet when you can it's time on your feet so well it's weird because you know i ran in college but i was 150 pounds and you know i ran competitively i ran you know a long run running under I, I rarely ran under nine minutes i mean most of the time i was eight minutes or under on almost everything we trained at and you know to totally when i left college i said if you see me running now look behind me because somebody's chasing yeah. me i kind of took that mindset on for a while and got really big and bulky and started lifting and tried to get you know 400 on the bench press never got there by the way but um got got to where and that's because that's what i enjoyed and uh but when Natalie and Caleb started running, I started saying, you know what, I might get back into that. And then that's when I met Blake shortly after that. I just started running. Joshua had baseball practice all the time, so I was always at baseball practice. So I'm not going to just sit there. So I'd get out of the truck and go run during baseball practice. I remember practice. when you were doing that, yeah. And that's how I kind of started getting in shape. And then Blake and I started running together a little bit. And then I never thought about doing, you know, an ultra and until I got around Blake and he had done that Iron Mountain. And I was like, man – that sounds crazy, but maybe I could do it. <laughs> so crushing it, man. I can't wait. I can't wait to see you on your hundred miler. I don't I don't know if I'll run the Georgia Jewel this coming up year. I think I might just come out there. If you're doing the hundred miler, I might just come out there and hang out with you. Well, I'm I know you won't woods. I know you won't <laughs> run it because we got a basic course. That's gonna say y'all gonna be oh, in the woods. Oh man, do we really? Yeah. Black dast, man. Reschedule that jewel. It's all good. <laughs> it's all good. Um, I, I wanted to ask you too, Paul, just to change subjects. I, I don't know if, if it's too soon for you to comment on this, but you guys tragically lost a family member recently. Yep. And, um, I, I just kind of wanted to get your perspective on that and maybe how you got through that. Uh, tell us a little bit about what happened and whatever you, whatever, whatever's valuable there's got to be some valuable stuff there. If if it's too soon to talk about it, you can no. pass. But no, it's uh, so my father-in-law. We we live in Rockmart. We have seventy-nine acres in Rockmart. That's my father-in-law's. Uh, my father-in-law, mother-in-law. Uh, they bought it so that we could all build out there. So our whole family pretty much lives on that compound, except for my wife's sister lives in Dallas. But um, so my dad-in-law owns a concrete. Uh, and asphalt paving company so does concrete curb and gutter and asphalt paving and just done really well for himself over the years made it through all the recession and everything just solid dude uh, I, I like to say he brought his own joy anywhere he went he lit up a room um, you know he, he didn't have a great education but he had a great work ethic and uh, just a just a solid man uh, people all in Dallas knew him real well so right before you know, like you guys, he's a hunter. I always grew up dove hunting and quail hunting, duck hunting, but never deer hunted. When I met Amy and uh, we got married, uh, the first he bought me a deer rifle, and that was the first time I ever went deer hunting. And I like deer hunting, but just, I like sitting in the woods. I like spending time with my kids in a deer stand. More than anything, I went to deer camp to be with Henry, uh, Henry Justice. Is his name J and W Concrete and Asphalt was his company, and so years and years of going down to deer camp, and just kind of crazy stuff we'd do to make build stands and do things and build relationships. And um, 
he was just such a good father to me. I mean, you know, as an in-law, he just treated me like one of his kids. And uh, a lot of what I have is because he provided it. You know, I didn't have to pay for the land. He paid for the concrete for my house. Um, Always wanted to help with the kids' cars, you know, as they grew. If something broke down. When Amy and I first got married, I had to fuss at her and tell her, look, you don't call your dad anymore. You call me. And then I'll call your dad. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> uh, he's just he's just that kind of Johnny on yeah. the spot. Every morning, I would go drink coffee with him. Um, I'd just go get the paper, and we'd sit down, and I'd pull the sports out. I didn't care about anything else. I'd just grab the sports, and uh, and we'd sit there and talk. And uh, sometimes we'd talk. Sometimes we wouldn't say much, you know. And So we were getting ready for deer season in 2019, and uh, he was – washing out his gator, getting ready for opening a day of gun season. He was at the shop there in Dallas, and uh, he fell out of the back of the gator and hit his head. And um, so I was – I had taken my truck to get the tires rotated and balanced and oil changed, so I had a friend taking me to pick my truck up, and Amy called me and said, "Uh, where are you at? And I told her, she said, well, Dad has fallen, and – he apparently he's hit his head pretty hard and they're taking him to Kennestone. I said, okay. I said, so you want to meet me? So we met at the school and drove to Kennestone and I thought, you know, he's going to have a concussion. He's hard headed. He's going to be fine. You know, that kind of thing. And, uh, we got to Kennestone and what was the hardest thing about it was nobody knew how he was doing. And, uh, there was a lady that came out to talk to us about what was going on. And it was the same lady who had talked to us, my friend, my one of my best friends from high school had a daughter that was murdered. She was shot at um, Kennesaw. She was at Kennesaw State, and she was at an apartment complex. And so Kimmy was murdered, and when she was in the hospital, they had her, you know, she was brain dead. But they kept her alive for a while for to harvest organs because she was an organ donor. And so really traumatic experience back then with this lady was the counselor. And I wound up trying to help make sure that some of the college kids that were trying to come see her weren't, you know, inundating the parents and all that kind of stuff. So I was there for that four or five day process. And that lady was there counseling and trying to, that's the lady who comes to us. And that, that broke me down because I knew this was not, oh, he's having a surgery. Everything will be fine. I knew they've got the counselor coming and I, I kind of had to walk away and uh, I came back and, they took us in a room and told us what was going on. And uh, basically, his brain was bleeding. They got it, the swelling down on one side, and then it moved to the other side. It was just very unusual. And we had to make a decision. And the dec- it, it was a no-brainer. He, he had just had a conversation with me a week before that, you know, if, I, if something's going on with me, pull the plug. I don't, I don't want to be part of who I am, that kind of thing. So it was a real easy decision for the family. Um, we were all in there and, uh, so we spent one last night with him and they took everything out. Kids came to see him and he just laid there snoring just like he did at deer camp every night. I spent the night, Amy, me and Rachel spent the night in the room with, and Carla, his wife. And, uh, that, and then the next afternoon he passed away and, uh, just suddenly and, and, uh, it was, it was hard, but. Amy said something in the hospital, you know, it's her dad, right? And she said, you know, I I don't want to lose my dad, but if I'm going to lose him, 
I'm glad he went like this. He went out doing what he loved to do. He was getting ready to go to deer camp. He was cleaning out his um, gator. It was just kind of a weird situation, but he was gone. And um, she uh, she did the eulogy. And, um, you know, I've done several eulogies. I've prepared funerals. I was just talking to Amy about this this morning, how the Lord kind of, in my heart, I felt like the Lord spoke to me and said, you just stand back and leave everything alone and and let the family do what they need to do. Um, because that's something that I've had to have a hand in with like, a you know, I had a football player whose mom died one year and then two years later his dad died and we'd raise money. We basically buried the kids. Um, I mean, buried the parents for the kids. And um, so I've been involved, you know, of course I was involved in friend whose daughter was murdered and so i've had a lot of experience in that but then this is a whole different animal and uh amy prepared the eulogy and of course she let me read it before and it was just it was amazing a beautiful service i think you know we had it at the dallas theater um the count city council met and said you know there ain't no way anybody can host this um with everybody he knew and um so we wound up having it at the Dallas Theater, and it was packed. And, uh, you know, people way down the road for yeah. all the visitation. And uh, it was just an awesome testimony of a good man's life. And I wrote a song for my grandfather, and the chorus of it is, you can't measure a good man's life with money. You can't measure a good man's life in fame. But you can measure a good man's life by the lives he leaves behind and the character those lives display. And so Amy shared the eulogy and did just a beautiful job with that. And uh my sister-in-law has a beautiful voice. She sang a cappella, a song. The boys all had a J&W hat, and uh, they all walked down to the stage and put it on the stage. Um, it was a beautiful ceremony, but it was a life well lived, you know. And the front of my book, that's one of the things I talk about is, you know, different people in my life and their influence. And Henry's influence was – he never ran into anything. Like, people don't realize he, he had good money toward the end of his life because, you know, his business prospered. But it prospered because he laid under Ford F1, F-350 and worked on it before he went to work. He didn't buy a brand-new diesel, you know, yeah. $75,000 truck. He, he kept his equipment going. He worked hard. He would – something be broken down, and I'm thinking there's no way we're getting this fixed. But he just never quit. He figured out a way to get stuff done. And then, like I said, he treated everybody the way he wanted to be treated. People had done him wrong, and he still treated them good. People who wouldn't pay him, and you'd, he'd go see them in public, and I'd be like, I wouldn't talk to him, not Henry. Henry didn't let anybody mm. else determine his level of joy and how he lived life. Wow. And so it was a great testimony. It was a tough time. And then, you know, then we go into December, and on December 23rd, my dad has a stroke. And my sister-in-law's dad died in January. So we, 2019, we were ready for it to be over, to be honest with yeah, you. But, yeah. uh, so. Well, that, that was a, I just remember, uh, of course, I didn't know Henry really at all. I had heard about him. I knew his reputation. Uh, I didn't know him personally. But when I remember hearing the news about that and just, it's so crazy to me, man how uh we lose perspective on life so much and you know being in the seal teams that happens every now and then you know you'd be standing there talking to your buddy one day and some of these i i mean i mean i remember one one of my buddies specifically blake marston 
he he was literally looked like he had chiseled out a, a stone, dude. Like this joker was intense. And you just you're talking to this dude one day and you think nothing could kill this dude. I mean, look at this guy, man. And then the next day he he's gone, you know? And um it's just crazy, man, how we lose perspective on the how fragile life is because you hear about Someone, whether it's Blake Marston or Henry, up pressure washing his gator, getting ready for deer season, and slips and falls, and it's over, you know. And I just, I don't know. I just, I mean, I get it. I just think it's a good thing to to remember every now and then how fragile everything is. Um, but what a wonderful legacy. I mean. I've been to quite a. I've been to some funerals where it's hard to get many people to show up. Yeah, you know, but that's awesome. You guys packed a theater out. Man, that speaks volumes. I think. I, I wish stood, I would have known him. I stood in line for nearly about two hours to, you know, as they were doing the viewing. I mean, it was truly backed up out and down the main strip of Dallas. Man, yeah, it was. Was he a Christian? Yes. Henry, you know, it, we, we joked about, he used to joke about, he wanted us to get him, uh, he wanted us to get a taxidermist <laughs> to finish him off and let, have him standing there next to the casket waving. <laughs> so, like, if it wouldn't have been so tasteless, I totally would have gotten a life-size picture blown up Yeah, and had a little mechanical hand waving just to, <laughs> he would have loved that. But, yeah. Uh, but yeah, hit. And the other thing that was so beautiful about that is Carla, when we were sitting in there planning the funeral, uh, to watch Carla just think about all she thought about and all the decisions she made is what would Henry like, what would have meant something to him, and you know, here's people who they you know this year would have been their fiftieth wedding anniversary, the this past year. So, um, so twenty. 2020 would have been their 50th wedding anniversary and just all that they've gone through over time um it's just amazing to watch her love and and sit around talk to her after the fact and just hear what her heart was and and you know how she missed hearing him call her every day he'd call her every day on the way home what's the plan what's the plan what's the plan and that was what's the plan for dinner you know because it was just two of them there's no point in her cooking it you know he, uh, you know it's it's hard on her still. You know, but um, she's she's doing good. But Mother's Day yesterday, we ate lunch with her, and she's a strong woman. She'll be fine. But uh, we miss hearing the Amy's. You know, one thing that touches her every now and then, she'll just think about. You know, in the morning, we always get up early, and we would hear his truck. Yeah, know? and uh, hearing that diesel, and he'd drive by every now and then, mm-hmm. and just check on things. You know, and. You know, that's a safety blanket for her, you know, knowing dad's there that she doesn't have anymore. And uh, Yeah. So. It, and for you guys, you guys that have been out on, on any of our courses or anything, it, I, I sometimes think when I tell people or, or to be deliberate, when, when I really stress that point, of being deliberate. They think, what, Chad, why are you telling me this? Why are you telling? I'm telling you 
to be deliberate because I know how fragile life is. All right? That's why I'm telling you to be deliberate is because I want you to stay alive. Yeah. That's how this that's how that principle correlates in my mind. Right? And and I don't know if that I I don't know if people really get that, right? I mean, do you get it, Blake? Have you? Oh, yeah. Do you understand? That's why I teach that. Oh yeah. So so hard. Yeah. I mean, yeah. I mean, you got to be deliberate with everything, and and that's the core, the root of it. Like you know, when I'm hauling trash to the dump, and I've got to step over the ratchet strap in the back of my truck, I think about it. I need to get my dang foot over that strap pretty good, or I'm gonna tumble off of this truck. And might break my dang neck. That's what you know? I'm talking about. And, and, and now, no matter how deliberate you are as a person, you're always going to make mistakes. You're always, you're always going to... I do it all the time. I, re- I freaking raked my shin on a box the other day. Because why? Because I wasn't being deliberate. Mm-hmm. But So everybody's going to slip. But I just wanted to clarify this. The reason we teach that... I stress that principle especially is because I know how fragile life is. And... Maybe not everybody, thank God, has to learn that the hard way through losing people close to them, right? Well, even when you think about deliberate or intentionalities, a lot of times the way I, I would say the same thing, even just, so so there's the, the fragile nature of life, but even the fragile nature of lives you impact by your deliberate action. So if you are not deliberate in how you deliver a message, if you're not deliberate in, you know, the day before, the the morning hit the Wednesday before Thursday that Henry died. I was in the park. I was I normally get the paper. I I was later that morning, so he was getting the paper and he was walking back with the paper. And I rolled the window down, and I told him, "Thank you for everything you do for us." Something he had just done something for one of the kids, and I said, "You know, I really appreciate all you do for." for us in material things. But what I appreciate the most is you spend time with my kids and give them an opportunity to go to deer camp and do things. You know, he builds stands with my son and stuff like that. So I was able to deliver, you know, be intentional about telling him how much I love and appreciate and respect him as a man. And then he passes away on Thursday. You know, how, how often do we not say things to our kids or to our wife or to our family members that yeah. we love? We don't tell them what we appreciate about them. We don't give them real, real feedback. Mm-hmm. Even negative feedback, even things that are correction, you know. So I, when you talked about being deliberate at the proving ground, I thought, wow, this being patient, present, and deliberate really covers all of life very simply. And you know, I, I was that was probably the biggest takeaway I had from proving ground was just how there's a lot of things I may say a different way, but those three things really simplify a lot of messages all in in one place. So yeah, they do. They really do. Yeah. As I'm as I'm working through, and we're about to talk about obviously Paul's an author. As I'm working through kind of my ideas for for a book, I keep going back to those three things. It's like even if my book's only like sixty pages or seventy pages long, like if I can get you to understand and adhere to those mm-hmm. three things, it's a freaking game changer, man. Absolutely. And you're you're right. They do sum up so much. You, I mean, you could create if if you told if I told every story 
revolving around those three things. You could create a freaking book the size of that Bible right there. That's what I was about to say. Those, yeah. those three things are so simple, but you could go so much in depth. You could have a uh, you could have a Lord of the Rings series on the, yeah, <laughs> those you could, books. Yeah, you, know? you really could, man. Oh, man, I could pre- I, I'm going to preach a sermon on it one of these days, and I'll, I'll send you the recording. <laughs> I'm going to steal it from you and give you full credit, but that's, yeah, that's a powerful message. I appreciate it. I love it, man. You know, I talked to you right after that race, at, right after the Mid-State Mile, and I was walking in front of my garage talking to you about that race, and you shared those three things with me about, you know, how they applied in that race. Yeah. That was, that was something. Um, all right, guys. This episode was brought to you by Wazoo Survival Gear. Have you ever tried any of Wazoo stuff, Paul? I haven't. Well, you need to get you something. I know. I need to get. I got. I got my my bushcraft necklace on right here. Oh, I got my bushcraft bracelet. Oh man, y'all can't see my necklace because of my beard, but here it is. Um, look, man, Wazoo Survival Gear. They make wearable survival gear. All right, so that means that you can increase your capabilities of what you're able to do and the situations you're. You, you might encounter in life your capabilities of how you can react to those situations by utilizing the products that Wazoo makes. The cash cap, the cash belt, the bushcraft. Now, it's all legit stuff that we use on a daily basis. All right, so if you want to increase your capabilities, go check out Wazoo Survival Gear at wazoosurvivalgear.com. I'll attach a special link to their website in the show notes of this episode. That way you guys can uh, go check their stuff out. And and you're, you're going to get a pro code from us that's going to give you 20% off their products. Now, Wazoo tries to have their products made 100% in the, in the United States as best they can. I think there's a few little things that they just could not have produced in the U.S., but... Overall, that is part of their mission. That is part of their standards. That's another reason we love them. So thank you, Wazoo, for sponsoring this episode. Thank you for putting out awesome products for us to use at the basic course and in everyday life. Y'all go check them out. It's linked in the show notes of this episode. Support the companies that support this podcast. I want you to understand that if a company supports this podcast... It's gonna should tell you something about that company's values because mm-hmm. there are quite a few brands and businesses out there we've talked about before that won't touch us with a 10-foot pole, son. So if a company is supporting this podcast, it tells you something about their values, and we hope your values are somewhat in alignment with ours, and you vote with your money. Spend your money in places where it's going to make a difference. Support the people that have the same values as you. Support Wazoo Survival Gear by buying some freaking awesome gear from them. And you can't not, go wrong. We're not going to run an ad on here of a company of products that we don't vet first and like. I mean, we've had people reach out to us, and we're just like, no, we don't. We're not going to run ads for your product because we've had to we, turn we don't like them or yeah. whatever. So if we're running an ad on here. You know, at least you know that we've tried it and we like it. If whatever that means to you, we've had to turn down more advertisers than we've than we've taken on. Yeah. So, all right, let's take a quick break. We're going to dig into True North. 
All right, we're back. Uh, I was just thinking out there uh, during our break. Well, we've come a long way since the first time we sat down and tried to record a podcast. Do you remember that? Yeah, oh, I do. Man. The first time. So Paul's been a mentor for Blake and I for years now. And the first time we ever tried to record a podcast with Paul, we had this little, it was a, a Yeti USB microphone. We had one microphone. And, and our idea of how to record a podcast was to plug this USB microphone into our uh, laptop and sit down at a table and set this one microphone in the center of the table and for us all just to talk, thinking that that microphone was going <laughs> to pick up <laughs> each stream of conversation, right? Yeah. And so we had just got this thing, and of course we thought we were fancy, with this, because now we got a microphone, son. We're in the podcast business. Well, that was a big decision, too. I remember we thought that mic's like 70 bucks, man. Do we? It was. Do we invest in that mic or we just get a little lesser? Yeah. Something a little lesser yeah. quality. Well, that's insane to think about that. Yeah. And we were trying to make sure nobody, I was trying to make sure nobody walked upstairs where you could hear the tin ceiling in our basement. Yeah. 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 We, uh, we went over to do this podcast, and the microphone didn't work. You remember? It yep. was brand new, yep. and it wouldn't work. We thought, how can you buy an $80 microphone and it not work? <laughs> Y'all think we're full of crap right here. Nope. Look, when we not only that story, that happening, you want to talk about frustrating. We had gotten all, we had gotten all our, our podcasting gear together, our, our laptop and our Yeti mic, and drive over to Paul's house and get everything set. He's got us a nice little spot set up down there in the basement because I was living in Blake's basement at the time. We didn't have anywhere to record a freaking podcast. So we went to Paul's house, sit down to have this conversation, and the freaking thing doesn't work. You want to talk about frustrating. And you think you think Blake's full of it, think, saying that that was a big decision to buy an $80 microphone? No. He's being dead serious. Yeah. When we started three of seven project, didn't I put two twenty five hundred and you put twenty five hundred? Is that yeah. what we did? Yeah, if it was even that much, yeah, I don't even know that it was that much. It may not have. I, for some reason, I think that's what it what what it might have been. But when we started, me and Blake had this idea for three of seven project, and I'll tell y'all the story about Ezekiel thirty seven and and all this stuff that led up to that one day, but um. When we started, we took we each had a little bit of money saved up in our personal savings accounts, right? So we each took whatever it was, two thousand dollars, it may twenty five hundred, whatever. We took that and we just started a not even a business bank account. We just started another personal bank account mm-hmm. under my name and we put the money in there. And that that was all that was all we had. And uh yeah, buying an $80 microphone was a big deal. Yeah. Because we wanted some t-shirts, right? That's where Let's most of that money went. Get the website up. The website. Yeah, I think the website was like 2500. It was like half our half the net worth of our business. Yeah. <laughs> yep. And now now by the grace of God in us doing the work that he's given us, I mean it's uh, it's it's just unbelievable what we're able to do now just this stuff right here i mean we've got 
we've got a couple thousand dollars worth of equipment just right here in this podcasting mm-hmm. setup. We now we've got a full time team member, Chili. Um, it's just I don't even freaking know how it happened. I don't even know how it happened. It's man. all a blur when you look back. It really is, man. Um, Paul, why, uh, man, you've been with us since the very beginning. I mean, he's been with us before, before the beginning. The beginning. Yeah. Yeah. I remember walking, I was in front of my house, walking through the rocks in front of my house when Blake shared with me an idea of, uh, this three of seven idea. And I was like blown away with how perfect it was three of seven. Cause you know, when I do workouts, I do three sets of seven. I don't do three sets of eight. And, like, one day I was running. I was doing a long run, and Joshua asked Amy, uh, or Amy said something like, well, Dad's going to run 20 today. And Joshua said, you know he's not going to run 20. He's going to run 21. <laughs> 21. Yep. But uh, Paul's so, a numbers guy. So uh, so I absolutely, and, and Blake, and uh, and then and then I talked to you not too long after that in the same spot. I like to go outside when I talk on the phone with y'all, and uh, – and you shared, uh, Blake had shared with me the, the dry bones and, uh, yeah. And that they were working on that. Y'all were working on that image. And, uh, and I was just like, wow, that's, that's going to be something. So, uh, yeah, I love it. Three of seven is. Well, and a lot, I think that this is kind of, you talk about three of seven, the three is representative of body, soul, and spirit. Seven is the biblical number for completion. Anytime you see something in the Bible that's done seven times, right, it's totally complete. All right, and then this this just I actually just brought this together today. The the dry bones. A lot of people ask why is our our logo like skull? Why is it like a skull? It's bones, right, with no flesh or or anything on them, um, because this really started with this Ezekiel chapter 37, 3, 7. That, have, you, has, have you ever realized how that lined up? I did not notice that. Did you know that? Yeah. You did? Thanks for sharing that with me. <laughs> I, I just realized. I had to. <laughs> I just realized this this morning. This is 307 Project. We kind of started off with the, the, the concept of Ezekiel chapter 3, 7. Y'all can go read that um, for yourself. <laughs> I'll read it on another podcast because it's a little long. But You know, as I'm sitting here thinking something else that was funny in the beginning of this, we can share it one day, are those initial T-shirt ideas we had. Oh, my gosh, dude. <laughs> oh, my gosh. <laughs> what well, it's like... <laughs> oh, We man. had no clue. I, I didn't even know... I didn't even know what a brand... I didn't understand the concept of a brand. Like, business to me was simply... You had to invent some type of product or at least, you know, improve on a product that already exists. Or I didn't even... I I wasn't even thinking about it in the terms of providing a service. But when somebody said something about a brand and a logo... I was like, it did not register with me. So we had no clue, no clue what we were doing. Yeah. And, you and know. I, and I was no help there because <laughs> I don't know anything about that. No, it's uh, it's like, um, 
you know the two major components that I see uh is just you just we just kept showing up. Yeah. So consistency and um keep showing up and do the work that's in front of you. Like yeah. if, if there's a, if there's some if there's something there, raise your hand and say, "Yeah, I'll go. I'll go do that. I'll 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 do the work that's in front of me, right?" Yeah. And that's really all we've done. Yeah. Be consistent and do the work that God has given us to do. Well, y'all clearly defined even, you know, even though you had to get the brand, you had to get that logo. It was very clear from day one this idea of three of seven is it's a biblical truth ezekiel the dry bones coming to life new life coming out that red bird it the message was already that foundationally growing and what you just had to do is you know put it into a format that it could you know that people could relate to and understand but yeah i, I was blown away I, I think I told y'all on a run together. I was like, man, I wish I'd have thought, you know, it's kind of one of those things where, because, you know, the Trinity has always been a big thing to me. I I was in college at Berry and I had a professor who was a pastor, but he taught philosophy and he taught like taught several classes, but he taught a philosophy class with me. And one day in class, we were talking about something and I just shared with him. I said, well, I believe we are a spirit. We have a soul and we live in a body. And he looked at me like, what are you talking about? And he's a pastor. And he's a you know brilliant professor or whatever, and he's a super nice guy. And I remember it was Dr. McKenzie. I went back to he asked me to come to his office afterward, and I shared that concept of what I believed about it when I was in college. You know, I'm a what nineteen seven. I was probably like an eighteen year old at that time, and uh, and I I just assumed everybody thought that way. I I did too. I I still to this day I can't believe that this is that what the 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 way we teach body, soul, spirit in order to be complete, I, I still have trouble believing that this is an original idea. But it is. It's the I guess the way we teach it and where we teach from, I really can't think of anybody else that's doing it. Yeah. But it's so freaking like you said, it it's so simple. You just assume everybody else thinks that way because right. it's so obvious. I think people have, you know, taken bits and pieces and shared parts of it, but for it to be, you know, the basic design of the whole project, you know, and, and making it tangible and real things. In other words, you know, being patient, present and deliberate being able to apply in anything. I mean, I shared it with my teachers when I got back through email one at a time. I shared patience one day, present and deliberate because it's applicable. So when you can take a truth that's in the Word of God, it's all over the Word of God. It's all in there. There's not one scripture that tells you what spirit, soul, and body is. It's it's all throughout the text. There are scriptures that have all three. There are only like two scriptures that have spirit, soul, and body. A lot of scriptures have soul and body, and you know, there's different. But but to really have it say, okay, we're going to take the truth of this and apply it to everything we do and how we do things. That is that's the unique nature of it, and and to have the courage, you know, that's the thing to have the courage to say, hey, this is my mission. For you and Blake to be able to say, 
Our mission is to help people become more complete. And the only way they're going to do that, I call it integrity. It's integrity between spirit, soul, and body. Mm-hmm. Father, Son, and Holy Spirit are one. So when we talk about God, we're talking about, maybe we're talking about the Father in one moment because we're emphasizing a certain thing that the Father does because Jesus said, if you've seen me, you've seen the Father. They're one and the same, yet three, right? Mm-hmm. And that's how we're supposed to be. We yeah. are a spirit. We have a soul and we live in a body and our body is supposed to represent the outward nature of what's already on the inside of us. And so for you guys to be able to see that and, and allow it to play out in ver, you know, various, you know, whether it's the basic course, whether it's the finishing school, whether it's proving ground, whether it's in, you know, how you minister on resurrected, how you, you know, relate to people on a daily basis at CrossFit. It's, it's who you are. It's not just a, it's not just a project. It's the project of becoming who you're supposed to Mm. be. And I, and I love it. I'm, I'm stoked about what God's doing. Well, I'm ready for you to retire so you can come on board, son. Son, we can't afford Paul. I think we might be able to afford him one day. What, maybe, what do you think? He's he, got a You few, think he's going to decrease in value when he retires? No, or something? I'm saying we're going to increase in value. <laughs> we're going to increase in what we can afford. Well, right? He's retiring soon, so we, he's we got to get on the ball. He's going to find. He's got a couple else to years. Go. You got a couple years, don't oh, you? Yeah, I got. I got at least five. I don't know though. If y'all make a lot of money and you can, you know, I can go ahead and retire early. And <laughs> just kidding. <laughs> Maybe, but you know I'm here, so I'm a phone call away anytime. Um, all right, so let's talk about True North real quick. Not real quick, but let's talk about it now. True North is Paul's latest book. What right now it's your only book? I mean the 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 manuscript that you had previously. Did you basically take what you had in that manuscript? You remember, I have a copy of it, yep. and and basically transition that and format that into True North? Yes, sir. Okay. So basically, I wrote, I, I, I always joke about it. I tell people it's too, it's too big to call a pamphlet, and it's too small to call a book. But I basically took a bunch of ideas and leadership themes and things that were important to me to communicate with my kids. I wanted them to always have something. So when Caleb turned 15, I gave him this, notebook three-wing binder full of junk all over you know just things that i wanted him to have yeah and i don't think he's ever looked at it um (laughs) but then i took uh but then i said you know i want to do something my kids are worth more than that not a three-ring binder of loose leaf stuff so i i put together the document that you saw that was i think i called it leadership wilder or something you know and and just it had a lot it had some of the things in this book um, but when I wrote this book, I totally, I didn't even look at any of that. So, oh, really? so when okay. I talked to my coach about, um, what I should do and how to do it, he said, well, man, I, I sent him that other manuscript and he said, yeah, man, we can take this and clean it up and make a book out of it. And I said, and so we talked about that and I said, well, I think I'm going to take a lot of the concepts and ideas in this, but I'm going to start from scratch because I want this to be a new work. And so a lot of the stuff that's in the book is in that other work, but then there's a lot of other little, you know, silly things in that other book that, and the other manuscript that aren't in here. Mm-hmm. So true North living and leading on purpose. 
it tells me it goes back that that to me right off the bat goes back to the conversation that we had about being intentional being deliberate i already like it man um ultimately why did you decide to to do this i mean i mean you had you had the the manuscript i think that was sufficient that you could pass to your friends or your family this was a big project man i mean obviously i I, i'm starting to understand the work it takes to to put something like this together so why um it was kind of i've always thought about you know having a book self-published um or possibly published and uh, i think it i was driving down the road one day and I, i just wasn't feeling content that i was doing all i could do um yeah i'm a pretty busy guy i do a lot of different things but I still felt like, you know, there's something more. And I was talking to Amy about different things I wanted to do to share what I believe about leadership. And she said, you ought to write a book. And I was like, yep. And it it wasn't like I hadn't talked about it before, but it was like, she said it almost like, you know, operating in Chile's gift. No, she was, she was, it was a prophetic voice Mm -hmm. basically in my ear at that point. And and then um, it, it wasn't too, it was a little while before that, that I had listened to Adam Davis came on a podcast and, and talked to you guys about um, him writing books and what he was doing with that. And so my biggest concern was I didn't want to deal with all the, I didn't want to try to learn how to get it to the publisher and do all I wanted somebody else to be able to do that. I just wanted my voice to be on paper in a way that people, it would be together where people could, read the truth of the word of God and in Paul's perspective, I guess. Yeah. Yeah. And so, so I, you know, I got together with Adam and, uh, he helped me put together a website and, um, and I started writing and, um, and I basically, everything in the book had already been written in some short form. You know, me, I mean, if, if like, even when I got back from the proving ground, I, I wrote, I had written stuff while I was there and I typed up stuff. Now, of course, what I sent y'all was really raw, but, um, after actions report, yeah, Yeah. I'm, I'm I'm constantly, I try to put things in writing if they mean something to me or if they matter to me and either in PowerPoint or either writing in word. And, and so that's what I, I'd already, I had live life loud CPR, had all these concepts because I used them. I used them in everyday living with teachers, with students and, you know, and so, um, I already had all that framework. But then I, uh, I I needed to write it down and expand on it enough because a lot of times, like you said before, you would assume well people know what the spirit is, they know what a soul, what the difference between soul and spirit, what the and I was like, no, you've got to write from a perspective. You're trying to make sure that if people don't know, they get the information they need to know. And so mm-hmm. I tried to tried to write it in that in that way. And uh, so I rewrote it from beginning to the end, including introductions and and afterward things that I've never done before and. It, it turned out to be it, – it really wasn't hard. <laughs> I mean, really? everybody – I think the hard part, you could write to eternity. The hard part was knowing what to put in and what to leave out and when to stop. Mm. I could have written a lot more about every subject in there. Yeah. But I, I needed to finish it eventually. And so that was, uh, that was a hard part was really just knowing – when is enough enough? How do you say it in a way that is going to minister to other people? Yep. Yep. Not just you blabbing and 
going on forever about something, you know. So that that was the hard part. Yeah, no, I, think I, it was, I could I could see how that would be. That'd be the tough part for me too. Yeah, yeah, and it's obvious because I feel like you blistered through that thing, son. I don't know. Maybe that was just my perspective, but start to finish, how long did it take you? Well, you know, we did have COVID, so that took two hours out of, off the road. Well, not quite two hours, but, you know, I drive about 35, 40 minutes to work every day, and I got to get ready to go do that. So when I'm working from home, and I, I get up about 4.30, 4.45 in the morning, so that time is my personal time. Well, I could take all of that time to the time I would normally be getting in my truck and drive to work. So I wrote before and after work during COVID. So I wound up finishing it. I don't even honestly remember. I've got it written down somewhere when I started. Um, I was actually done writing before before July. I, I had a I had one of my a person that works with me who's a good editor look at it and go do a first run through it in June, and it, so it was done in June. I didn't have the title. I just and you had started what month? I think I started writing in February. Dang, that is pretty quick. Then. Yeah, but it was all already in me. So it was just a matter of organizing it around what I thought would be beneficial to people. Yeah. Well, when you wake up at 4.30 in the morning, you can get a lot more done than somebody like me that wakes up at 6.45 if, I, if I've got something to do. I go to bed early, too, though. <laughs> I don't know if I've seen you up at 6.45 in a while. Oh, you... you I, I mean, I don't get out at six forty-five. I'm saying up and sometimes, not not always, but my alarm, unless I'm going hunting, or I've got some some something to do as far as like training, like somewhere. If if I I've got work to do every day, right? But I always said, if I owned a business, we would not start anything before 7 30 in the morning because look this chucker right here you have been you've got a half a day's work in before i'm even getting up yeah before i'm even ready to walk out my door you've got a half a day's work in good job paul and you still don't go to bed until about 11 do you no i go to bed i usually go to bed by i'm usually asleep by 10 at least <sighs> asleep that's Asleep, pretty good. Like gone. That's pretty dang good. Ask Amy. <laughs> she, she'll be talking to me. I'm gone. I want to talk about the title real quick, True North, and um, what that means and where it came from. So um, I really had a hard time coming up with a title because, you know, my personal mission statement is lead people who matter to do things that matter. So I thought I was going to include that in the title. I definitely wanted something about living and lead. I wanted leading on purpose in there for sure. Um, so I went around for a long time trying to figure out what I wanted to do. And then I, my whole life is about, I look at leadership a little differently. I think everybody's a leader and it starts with leading yourself. So what I was trying to do is say, what is this thing about? Well, it's about principles that are the foundation for what you can lead off of. In other words, there's got to be. So I thought of a lighthouse and a compass. And a, a compass is all about direction. And, um, I mean, you said it well at Proving Ground. Um, you know, we went on that mission with, what's his name? Uh, Chris. Yeah, Chris. Yeah. Chris and I 
did a little navigation work with you that time. And I, I bought a, you know, when we went on the finishing school uh, prep work, that trip for that. Yeah. Um, I bought a compass right after that. And, and I, I loved, I've always loved the idea of a compass. I've used it in some of my training with teachers talking about being principal centered. A compass represents, you know, making sure you're putting the first things first and knowing the direction where you're going, there's a stake driven in the ground. So that's kind of where it started. But then when I was trying to land on a lighthouse or a compass, cause a lighthouse stands on the shore and you know, when you see a lighthouse, you know, I can't go that way unless I want a shipwreck. Right. Yeah. But I thought the compass was more versatile. It, you know, a lighthouse is stationary and it's that play, you know, it's got a, it's a good principle, metaphor for a principle but i thought a compass was a better metaphor because you take the compass with you and that compass gives you true north that compass always as long as you don't have interference right yeah if you get it too close to a device or to metal or anything mm -hmm. else it doesn't work right but as long as you've got it you've got it with you you got you're always going to know where north is so in, when I'm talking about living and leading on purpose, I'm talking about moving. I'm not talking about just sitting somewhere. Yeah. And so a compass, I thought, represented that more. And so for me, the compass is the Word of God. Um, it, it, there's nothing in this world that I, I don't believe there's anything in this world that can't be explained and understood by the Word of God. The Bible says, in the beginning was the Word, the Word was with God, and the Word was God. And the Word became flesh and dwelt among us. So when I when when you ha I have a compass on there, um, just because a Bible wouldn't have made it as good a cover, I guess. <laughs> no, nah, but uh, I thought I thought metaphorically that compass yeah. of being true north, you always know where you are. And then Blake gave me the idea of all my hashtags of zero three sixty. Said thank you, Blake. Blake gave you a social media idea. Can you believe that? No, I literally cannot <laughs> believe that. <laughs> So now, like, every time I sign a book underneath my name, I put hashtag 0360. I'm equally as inactive on social media as Blake. So I didn't even know you was using that because I don't get on there enough to see. There you go. <laughs> Look, man, uh, Paul, Paul's talking about 0360 because north on, on your compass bezel is 0 or 360, right, and on, on the bezel. So that's what he's talking about there. That's a really good hashtag, by the way. Thank you. <laughs> <laughs> My Lord, son. Um, <clears throat> I like that, man. I like that. And Paul, you you actually make some Instagram posts. I mean, I see yeah. your posts, man, and they have very good content. In the written portion, we've just got to work on your photography. <laughs> we have got to get you up to speed on your photography. I know it. So, just Listen, think. Paul's I, an author, not a photographer. <laughs> Leave him alone. I know it. a good photographer. So oh, you do. I, that's that's her work. I'm yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but no, Paul, you're actually pretty active on Instagram. I see your posts all the time, man. So, um. Side note, go follow Paul on Instagram. We'll attach it in the show notes of this episode. All right, so the listeners know now that we have True North living and leading on purpose. I just want to talk about 
for the listeners that are interested, what can they expect from this book? If they if they're going to go out and and purchase this and take the time to read it, I just want to kind of go through. Um, you've got it broken down here into chapters, obviously because it's a book. Um, <laughs> I want to go through and just get a not, not even a full synopsis, just on what to expect. Sure. Right from from the chapter starting with the the first one part 1 CPR leadership character sure so basically um CPR um when I Amy and I when I we first got married I needed an email account and that email account was champs4cj at whoever it was at that time now it's at att.net but um back then it was and it stands for Champions for Christ so I've always you know being a cross country runner before that I played football and baseball there was you know I've always been, you know, championships are, you know, a big, uh, just having that heart of a champion. What's the heart behind what causes somebody to be a winner? Mm -hmm. um, so that's where that comes from. So um, I thought about what, you know, Bible says, keep your heart with all diligence for out of it flow the issues of life. So I was like, okay, what are the core principles of good leadership that need to be there? And so I, that started with when I was a, a principal at one of the elementary schools that I wanted to, I wanted to make sure that we all understood what I was talking about when I'm talking about core competencies of leadership that involve character. So CPR is there's three C's, three P's, three R's. Um, and CPR, if you think about, you know, it as a kind of, if somebody's heart stops, then, you know, you either have an eight, an AED machine and you try to shock it back into rhythm or you do CPR, right? And so um, I thought that was a, you know, a decent metaphor that would help you remember. And then the C's are courage, commitment, and conquer. The P's are purpose. Actually, it starts with principles, purpose, and passion. And then R's are respect, responsibility, and right. And so those are just what I would call leadership character. Mm. You know, gosh, dude, you've never, I, I don't know that, I don't know if, You've explained that to me in that depth before, behind that acronym CPR, that abbreviation, whatever you want to call it. But and and leadership character, you said you 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 wanted to explore or identify the heart behind what I guess drives someone to be a winner. You're not going to be a winner by accident. Like there there's something going on if you're if you're winning consistently. At, in, in, in multiple aspects of life, it's usually not by accident. So to break that down and identify the characteristics of someone who is winning, someone who is leading, um, in, in, doing a good job at it is pretty freaking essential, man. Yep. That's really cool how yep. you broke that down. Um, I love that. So that, that whole chapter is about the character behind good leadership the yes. character behind a good leader and the good thing about it is you could actually just read one of the characteristics mm -hmm. put it down and come back and read another one some other time mm -hmm. they're tied together well i think i think they're supposed to tie together but you know courage commitment conqueror um courage is an essential virtue because without it you won't do anything else right yeah <laughs> and so yeah. and then commitment i love that are you going to finish what you start right and then conqueror we're made we're more than conquerors in christ but if that's our character and our nature and what God expects of us, we ought to be conquering, not 
whimpering and laying down when challenges come and struggles yeah. come, right? So, um, so that's that's why C is at the beginning. Mm-hmm. You know, those are bold, let's get after it kind of things. And then P is in the middle, because in the heart of CPR is first of all, you got to live by principles. There's got to be a stake driven in the ground, a compass that points you true north, so that if it's what if the if this is what the Bible says. The standard. It is what it is. Yeah, it standard. is the standard. Yeah. And so um, so that's that principles. Principles lead. Purpose drives. Passion fuels. <laughs> I couldn't agree more. I couldn't agree anymore. That's perfect, man. And then uh, when you think about R, I mean, we talk about this at school all the time with respect, responsibility, and rights. So respect. Respect yourself. Respect others. Respect the environment or respect things, however you want to use it. And so basically, um, respect is value. You know, respect is when you say you respect yourself, it, you could also replace that word respect with love. You know, when the Bible talks about love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength, and your neighbor, what's the end of that? As, as yourself. As yourself. Yeah. So you have to love yourself. You have to respect yourself. You have to value the gifts and tools you've been given. And how do mm. you do that? By using them and developing mm. them and growing in them, right? So respect, your, respect yourself, respect others, respect the environment. Take responsibility. What you are able to do, respond appropriately to it, right? And then, of course, right is be on the side of right. Standards again. You know, righteousness. We are the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus, but the Bible teaches us that we're supposed to be obedient unto righteousness and righteousness is living by a standard that is right in God's sight. And so, um, so that's what the CPR is. Well, I tell you, man, what really resonated with me on that is that portion that you, where where you talked about, you have to respect yourself and, and value your gifts and your uniqueness, right? Because this is one of the things I'm, I'm, I'm a teacher myself and, and I enjoy teaching other people how to teach, which is something we're actually going to start a program up revolving around that. And my first piece of advice to anyone that I'm teaching to be a teacher is don't try to be like me. Don't try to say it like me. Don't don't try to use the same tone as me. Don't try to... Do anything that I do, right? Respect yourself, the gifts that you have, the tone that you've been given, the passion that you've been given. Don't do it like me, yep. right? Because that's what's going to make you successful, at especially at being a, 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 a leader and a teacher kind of go hand in hand because a lot of times uh, if you're the one that's teaching – you're also leading the people that you are teaching. They're looking up to you, right? Because you have the answers uh, that they, that they need. So I absolutely love that, man. This is freaking powerful right off the bat, just in part one. Well, think about you know Galatians six talks about, and I love how you know the message translation talks about in verse four. I think you know that you it says make a careful exploration of who you are right? You're a beautifully created, you know, Psalms tells us, you know, you're fearfully and wonderfully made. Yeah. Right? You're a marvelous work of his hand. So, 
uh, know who you are and the work you've been given. Don't compare yourself to others and don't think too much of yourself. Right. So, yep. I love that, man. All right. Right off the bat. That's good stuff, brother. Um, Let's talk about part two real quick. Live life loud. What's that all about? So you have the character of leadership and CPR. And, um, you know, those are nine words of good wisdom. But, you, I mean, you can add to that. You know, obviously you could talk. And I talk about integrity and other things within those. Then you get into, I mean, it's real easy to talk about words that mean something in character words. But then how do you live it out? We need to live this out. We need to be doers. So I, I call live life loud kind of a an acronym for how do we do this? How do we, how do we do this living and leading? And so live, um, it started with me just, I, I was sharing with a group of leaders at a church, uh, in my church and they wanted me to come talk on leadership. And I just started going to the church. And, uh, so I was like, Hmm, what do I do? So, so I came up with this, I, this acronym of live and it's lead with integrity around a vision for excellence. So lead, and I talked about what leadership is. You know, Jesus was very clear that leadership is not about a position or a title. Leadership is servanthood. Washing the disciples' feet. He talked about, we're not going to lead like those guys, talking about the religious leaders who stand up in front of you and tell you to do things they're not going to do. Yeah. And so that, so that lead part, that's what it's about, is a leader is a servant. And then within t- so lead with integrity meaning what you say is what you do and there's a unified vision mission and purpose that's going on as you move and then v is vision without a vision my people perish and that just means beginning with the end in mind having its intentionality again right think about what you're called to do what you want the end to be and have have you know write the vision make it plain so they can run Mm-hmm. Who read it, you know, and then, um, and then excellence. Think about Daniel. He had an excellent spirit. He kept, you know, no matter what happened to him, throwing in the lion's den, his buddy's getting burned in the fiery furnace without a scent, smell of smoke. They don't even get singed. Nothing goes on. And, um, he's always, you know, he calls on the Lord to help reveal dreams to him and he's promoted to the highest position in the land outside of the King himself. And so I think, you know, we have this opportunity as, as children of God to have access to this. And even in the secular, like even if you don't bring the Bible into it, which, you know, obviously is totally against true North because the Bible is the compass. But I mean, just when you think about lead with integrity around a vision for excellence, no matter what organization or, you know, family or whatever you're leading, you know, you need to be able to lead with a servant's heart, have uh, integrity around what that leadership looks like. I can't tell that was when I had kids, that was a true test of integrity. Oh, I bet. You know, try to say, you know, try to say, do as I do, do as I say, not as I do. I don't work. No, not especially in an everyday relationship. You know, it was pretty real with my wife. You know, just being in relationship with a person that no, I mean, you know, Brooke will call you out. Oh, Amy, yeah. Amy, will call me out. You know, our women know, and then you know if your life isn't in alignment. So that integrity is a big piece, of course, and having a vision. Uh, people do not take the time and effort, I don't think, to think about what they really want in their life. 
And uh, so vision, you know, for me, it's, you know, really taking time to think about what's your personal mission statement, what's your family mission statement, what's your organization's mission statement. And that can look like anything. It doesn't have to always be, uh, you know, a beautiful phrase or a statement. It could be a picture. As long as it communicates something that draws your mind, your vision, your eye to see where you're going and mm. what your why is. And, uh, and then, man, we're not called to be little wimpy sissies. We're called to be excellent. Everything we do ought to be living. We ought to be living to a standard, and that standard ought to be appreciated by others. And uh, and then life, uh, so live life loud. Life. So you go from that bigger picture into more of execution phase. So um, lead. Sorry, live with intent. So be intentional, deliberate, right? Yep. And faithfulness toward execution. So you got to be a doer of what you say you're going to do. You know, faith without works is dead, right? You got to be a doer of the word, not a hearer only, because if not, you're just deceiving yourself. So in that, in that life phrase, I think the most important part of that is faithfulness. The Bible says that faithfulness is God's plumb line. It's required in a steward that a man be found faithful. So in that life, we're talking about being faithful with the little things. You got to be faithful with little things before God can bless you with that which is more. You got to buy an $80 mic and try to get it done before you buy. <laughs> isn't that, <laughs> right? isn't it so true? Uh, th- this is exactly uh, this, uh, this is exactly what we've been talking about. This faithfulness towards execution. Do y'all understand when did I just told y'all just a little bit ago how did how did we get to this point? We're nowhere near being finished, but how do we get to where we are now? Remember I told y'all we just kept showing up, consistently doing the work that was set before us? That is faithfulness towards execution. That is consistently showing up to do the work that's set before you. That's what that is. Yep. Yep. (laughs) It's perfect. You know something else on... uh faithfulness that that you taught me i remember when i was working before this and i was so anxious to get out of it and be able to do work at 307 full time and you told me you got to be faithful with that which is another man's before you can have your own to be faithful with Mm -hmm. you need to be praying for your replacement at that job and that he would be even better than you were when you were there and and at that time, in my mind, all I was thinking is, man, I'm ready to get out of this place because I've got something else I want to be doing. And that goes right into what you're talking about with faithfulness there and the same thing you shared with me then. Yeah, those principles, I mean, that those three things, and all of this came from I was at a church for 18 years under the leadership of Gene Evans. And he said he would always say, he's the one that taught me leadership is servanthood. And he's the one who taught me you faithfulness is God's plumb line. And he said, you got to be faithful in the little things. And of course it's the scriptures in there as well. You got to be faithful with the little things. You got to be faithful with that, which is another man's before God can give you that, which is your own. And you got to be faithful with unrighteous mammon, your money and material things Mm. before God can bless you with true riches, spiritual blessings. Mm. So, so that, you know, that's something you're constantly having to deal with. And I always think about, like, you know, right before y'all would go and execute a mission, when you were ready, you got everything done, you'd already done all the training, your own 
mission. You're, you're where you're supposed to be, ready to go into the room and do whatever. Before you can set the blast, what is said on the radio? Execute, execute, execute. Yep. And so, so like when you said that at uh, Proving Ground, it just, man, it just lit off, you know, this fire in my heart about, you know, we, we want to live with intent and faithfulness so we can execute, execute, execute. Yep. And, um, and of course, executing is being a doer of what, yes. you prepare, what you prepared for. You've had that faithfulness. You've had that training. Now do it. Do it. Quit whining. Get it done. That's that's the that's what stops most people is that that doing portion. Mm-hmm. Until you finally come to the realization that there's no one else that's gonna do it. That's right. If the work was meant for you, there's no one else that's gonna do it. Or can right. do it. If it's yeah. meant for you, if you're designed to do it, no one else can yeah. do it like you're gonna do it. But that's right. yeah, I mean, even on a even in a more primal sense though, like Really, in this in the scenario in the SEAL teams, like that job was meant to meant for me, and it's like I, I came to this realization as a young man in the SEAL teams that things would come up all the time, and you come to the realization that that doing part, you're like, oh, really? No, no one else is gonna do this. Like if it's gonna get done, it's it's got to be me. Like I have to literally start moving my body. To do this, uh-huh. it's crazy. Sounds so simple, but I'm telling you, every every human being I think has to learn that, right? Yeah. Yep. I mean, you think about we were on the proving ground, and uh, you know, not to give too much away, but one of the things we were doing was we we're on this high thing, and you know, I, my right ear rings all the time. I've got it creates a vertigo like experience. So heights are. It's not that I'm scared of heights. I'm scared of how ineffective i am (laughs) so i'm on this uh you know i've got a buddy with me and we're crawling across this you know basically tightrope on this obstacle and um and it was just kind of like we're on this solid platform but now it's time to execute what do you do you take a step into that shaky mission that's it and so as we do that one of the things that i really thought was cool about that so you remember that night i was stuck in on that one obstacle and you were yelling at me trying yeah. to encourage me to get me to, and so i was able to do that and that was a real i learned a lot from that but it was so, so funny i learned so much more from the other one because i did it with somebody else and that's the third part live life loud love others unconditionally through divine influence um and, and we can't love others unconditionally without divine influence the only no. person who's ever been able to do that is jesus and that's where we get that love from. It says, you know, the Bible teaches us that the love of God is shed abroad in our hearts through him. We don't have that kind of love just naturally. We need divine influence mm-hmm. for that. And, you know, God is love, you know, so. We're inclined to hate one another. Exactly. The human part of us is. Yeah. Well, think about the Blake, the example Blake just shared about me talking to him about being faithful in that which is another man's. Think about as you leave another situation, you know, I was always taught, you know, if I borrowed somebody's vehicle, it's going to have more gas in it than when I had it. It's going to be cleaner than when I borrowed it because they're letting me borrow it. I'm putting wear and tear on it. I am not returning. When I borrow my mother-in-law, if I ever borrow my mother-in-law's truck and it's got a quarter of a tank, it's coming back to her full. You know, you don't do that. Right. And so I think 
I think that's that same mindset of, hey, I want to leave things better than when I came. Uh-huh. And and I think that loving others, there's, you know, Stephen Covey has this habit of think win-win. You know, we we think we're competing against everybody for this one spot of the pie. When the reality is we can't create anything. The creator has already created everything there is, but there are so many natural resources and human resources that when you put them together, we're doing extraordinary things. My, si- my cousin works for SpaceX, and the kind of stuff they're doing is mind-blowing. When NASA basically told them, y'all ain't going to be able to do that. Yeah. And then this Elon Musk gets out there, and he's it's unreal some of the stuff that they're doing. But when you have a team of people who love each other and come together, Covey calls it synergy, when if what you can do and what I can do, like let's say we put it, we're at CrossFit Rome and we fill those bars up with everything I could lift. Then we take another bar over here and we fill it up with everything you could deadlift. We could actually take both of those weights and put them together and you and I could do probably at least 20% mm. more than that yeah because we're if we do it together yeah and that's what synergy is and so um i think you know martin martin luther king jr said love is the only force powerful enough to transform an enemy into a friend and so that's what the enemy's trying to do with all this strife over all these things out in the world everything you know with masks with the racial unrest and all these different things with lack of respect for authority all of those different things it's all trying to breed and i you know what i believe the opposite of love is rebellion selfishness selfishness I don't, and i'm not trying to love agape love you know i guess the opposite of that would be satan but you know because god is love but what i mean in terms of how we think of love um I think the opposite of that is just seeking after. It doesn't mean that you can't ever have things for yourself and do things to benefit you. That's natural. You're going to do that. That's self-preservation. But I think when we, uh, you know, I find when I'm in strife or having a hard time with people that I care about, that I know I love, it's usually because there's something in me that wants something different than what they want. And if we can work through that, then love has its way. But, you know, love, loving others uh, is that that's the it's on the end. And it's probably one of the hardest things to really yeah. try to execute. But uh, but God is love. He can help us with it. Yeah. Well, you 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 put it right there in the, the title of that part of part two, love unconditionally through divine influence. And um, I mean, that's probably well, not probably it is something that. Uh, I don't ask God enough for give yeah. me the ability to love unconditionally. Um, pretty awesome, brother. There's a few more parts in here. We got three, four, three. It's really interesting. Let's see. Yeah, really interesting to me because obviously you talk uh, a lot about the Trinity of man. Part three is spirit-led, soul-fed, body-dead. Your best life is ahead. That's the title of part three of Paul's book, True North. And, you know, you've got a lot of insight on spirit, soul, and body. I think you've you've considered it for quite some time, and you've obviously written about it. What's this all about, brother? 
So like I said before, you know, we are a spirit. We have a soul. We live in a body. The word for spirit in the Old Testament is ruah, R-U-W-A-H. And A-H, think about what you, how you talk when you use A-H at the end of the word. Breath comes out even more, right? Mm-hmm. Ruah. And then um, so in, for, in the New Testament, it's pneuma, which is where we get the word for like a pneumatic drill, right? Yeah. Which means it's powered by what? Air. Air. Yeah. But the actual Greek and Hebrew is breath, right? So when God formed Adam, he formed, it said, the Bible teaches us in Genesis that he formed Adam out of the dust of the earth, right? And man became a living soul. So that dirt was just dirt until God breathed himself into man and that man became a living soul. And so, the life of God is what causes us to be unique. There's no other, you know, a deer is an awesome creation, but Adam named a deer, mm-hmm. right? All of these other things that are created, the Bible teaches us in Genesis one twenty, Genesis one twenty six, that God formed Adam out of the dust of the earth, breathed him in, and he said, multiply, replenish the earth, and subdue it, right? And, and he gave him dominion over birds, fish, the leave the plants but he didn't give him dominion over other humans other humans right and so god breathed himself into man so man became a living soul what do we call it it's human right humus is dirt right man is spirit so we are a spirit in dirt right so we're housed in this dirt body and uh our soul is our mind our will, and our emotions. And so the goal of me writing Spirit-Led, Soul-Fed, Body-Dead was to try to reconcile and talk about how when these things are out of integrity, how do we get them back into integrity? Well, it's by understanding what each part is. But it's interesting because you can't really, it's not very easy to separate all of them all the time because they all work together if you think about it. Um, So I believe the spirit part of man is God breathed. And I, I, I wanted to make sure that there's some scriptures that I wanted to share um, t- when talking about this. Cause we talked about the light last time I was on a podcast, we talked about talking about this. So back then I kind of thought through some things and I love this scripture in Romans eight, two through four it says for the law of the spirit of life in Christ Jesus has made me free from the law of sin and death for what the law could not do. And it was weak through the flesh. God did by sending his own son in the likeness of sinful flesh on account of sin, he condemned sin in the flesh that the righteous requirement of the law might be fulfilled in us who do not walk according to the flesh, but according to the Spirit. And then Galatians 5, 6 says, I say then, walk in the Spirit, and you shall not fulfill the lust of the flesh. So, you know, Romans 7 talks about, you know, Paul's talking about what I want to do, I don't do. What I don't want to do, I do. Who will save me from this body of sin? Yeah. And then Romans 8 says, Hey, I got your answer right here. You know, there's therefore now no condemnation to those who are in Christ Jesus for the law of the spirit of life in Christ Jesus has made us free. So, so there's this, this working out of our salvation that we have to deal with. We're already God breathed humans, but when Adam sinned, we lost that connection and that fellowship with God. I love how you talk about, you know, what is our purpose? Well, it's companionship with our creators, companionship with our heavenly father, right? And so this companionship or this relationship 
was hindered because Adam, instead of obeying the voice of God, allowed himself to be, he wasn't deceived. The Bible teaches us in Timothy that Eve was deceived, that, you know, the serpent said, hey, it's good, it's juicy, it tastes good, you know, here, take it, and she took it. But then Adam obeyed the voice of Eve instead of obeying the voice of God. And and he, when he sinned and he made that choice, the only way to have that redemptive work and us to be able to gain sanctification where we could have a relationship with God again was Jesus taking on the form of a servant and becoming obedient to death on the cross, right? And so when he died for us, he provided the opportunity for that same spirit that raised him from the dead, which is later on in that same chapter in Romans, to be able to come back and live with us. Mm -hmm. And so... When I say spirit-led, what I mean is there has to be a belief. Faith is the substance of things hoped for, the evidence of not things not seen. So faith is believing that there is a life that's truly life available to us, whether we can see it or not. We can experience that. So when we accept Christ and we accept the work He's done for us, but I don't think this salvation process or life is just, okay, I got saved now, I can live any old way I want to, I got fire insurance, I'm not going to hell, it's all good. You're supposed to work out this salvation, sozo, which means healing, set free, delivered. What are you delivered from? Sin. Yeah. So the flesh cries out and wants things that kill or steal our joy or steal from us or destroy. That's the work of the enemy, right? Yep. For Satan has come that he might steal, kill, and destroy. But Jesus came to give us life and that more abundantly. So yep. spirit-led means... I want to. I'm going to welcome the spirit that raised Jesus from the dead to come have His way in me. That and that spirit we're talking about for you guys that read the Bible, and you might see this thing in the Bible called Holy Ghost or Holy Spirit. This is and and correct me if it's not this way in your mind, but in my mind, that's the spirit you're talking about is the, the Holy Spirit, which is the spirit of God that dwells in us. Yes, right? You're, you're you're describing it in a very awesome way. That makes it under it makes it easy to understand. Okay, this is what the Bible is talking about when it talks about this Holy Spirit part of God. I love the way you yeah. just described that. Sorry, I had it. Sorry. Right. So yeah. it's the breath of God basically available to us that was lost. Yeah. Because we choose our own way, we still have this soul going around making choices. You know, it's the mind, will, and emotions. One of the things that I think is so beautiful, you know, in Christianity. It's one of the, you know, the religion is man's way of trying to get to God. But what we're talking about is not religion at all. It's a relationship. It was God, love, right? For God so loved the world, he gave his only begotten son so that whosoever believes in him would not perish but have everlasting life. And I think a lot of times we live in that idea that that's that's a life provided for when we get to heaven. But I don't believe we were made for heaven. Yeah. We were made to bring, we're supposed to be ambassadors bringing heaven to earth. And the only way we can do that is to live spirit filled spirit. So spirit led means that we allow, how, what is the spirit? Jesus said in John six sixty three, the flesh profits nothing. But the words that I speak to you, they are spirit and they are life. That's why this is so important to me. 
I believe that all Scripture is given by inspiration of God and is profitable for doctrine, reproof, and correction in righteousness, that the man of God may be perfect and thoroughly furnished unto all good works. Perfect means complete, yep. whole. So, so the word, so when people, you know, you hear people talk about the spirit and walking, it's not weird to me to talk and, and, and use spirit, Holy Spirit, because I, I'm not talking about a religion. I'm not talking about rolling around in the floor. Or, you know, I'm talking yeah. about the same spirit that raised Jesus from the dead, the same spirit that told Jesus what those people were thinking when he was about to heal a man laying in the floor crippled. The same spirit that told Jesus to spit on some dirt, make some mud, and touch a guy's eye and tell him to go wash in the pool of Siloam and he'd be healed. The same spirit that motivated Jesus to do all that. Jesus called us to follow after that same spirit. And so that, that same spirit has been made available to us through what Jesus did on the cross if we believe in our heart and we confess with our mouth. And I don't believe that's just a one-time thing. I, I believe that's how you do life. You believe in your heart what the Word says, and then you do it, and you say it, right? And so soul-fed is the only way you can be spirit-led. That's why integrity is so important. We can't... So faith without works is dead, like the body without the spirit is dead, is what James tells us, right? So if... If you're dead, like, you know, you've, like when my father-in-law fell out of that gator and hit his head, and when he died, when the breath went out of him on that Friday afternoon, he wasn't in that suit, that mm -hmm. dirt suit anymore. He was no longer there. But as long as he was in that earth suit, there is substance to his choices, his decisions, his mind, will, and emotions, right? Yep. We, so... You can't disconnect any of those things. And once you're disconnected from your body, to be absent from the body is to be present with the Lord. And so this soul-fed part is, I think the most important scripture there is probably Romans 12, 1 and 2, where Paul says, I beseech you therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies a living sacrifice. In other words, live as if you're, you're not your own. You're bought with a price, right? So... A living sacrifice, holy, meaning you're set apart. Doesn't mean you're perfect. Doesn't mean means you're set apart. You're saying, I'm not mine anymore. I'm yours. Yeah. Holy and acceptable unto God, which is your reasonable service. I think a lot of times we read that scripture, we don't think about that, what that means. God doesn't do this for us. It's our will and our reasonable service, our mm -hmm. reasonable choice. It's a rational choice of the mind that we make to be not conformed to this world, but be ye transformed by the renewing of your mind that you may prove what is that good, acceptable, and perfect will of God. So there's this transformation that has to happen by the truth of the Word of God that Spirit breathes, God-breathed Word of God that inspires us to live the right way. And then that gets carried out in the flesh. And so body dead is I am crucified with Christ, nevertheless I live, yet not I, but Christ lives in me. And there's several scriptures that talk about, you know, that I'm dead to sin, but alive unto Christ. Yeah. Um, so so that's where it comes from. So I want to be spirit I want to be spirit led. I want to allow the Spirit of God inside of me through the revelation of his word, through opportunities, through prayer and 
you know, times with him and time with other people as we yep. share, then I'm so my soul is fed, my mind, my will and emotions are led by the spirit and truth, not led by, you know, other liars. Yeah. And uh, you know, I, emotions are great servants, but horrible leaders, you know. Yeah. And so those emotions are it's great to have emotions. Your feelings are good as long as they serve you. They're foolish if they're if you're running rampant by just those feelings. Mm-hmm. So and then um of course body dead crucifying the flesh that's why you know you have pastor james on here and he talked about fasting fasting is a really healthy thing for me to help get my flesh under control because i don't care how disciplined you think you are there you know we all have things in our flesh that we really desire that we know are not good for us yeah you know there's nobody listening to this that don't deal that you you've got something in your mind right now that you can think about i know that I would be better off in my flesh if I said no to this. Yep. So, um, you know. Yeah, yeah that's, a, that's a really – that's a true statement, Paul. <laughs> so, oh, so that's uh, so that's spirit-led, soul-fed, body-dead, best life ahead, in the best. So every section of this book stands alone in, in my mind because it's yeah. stuff I've taught alone. Like I've taught spirit-led, soul-fed, body-dead from, from the pulpit and from other places. So the best life ahead – came from i was praying that friend of mine whose daughter was murdered her mom was struggling with her health and so i was praying with him about her health and she's a good friend of my mom's down in south georgia so i was praying for him praying for her one time with him and and god just put in my heart to pray that her best life is ahead and so i I started praying that every time he and i would get together and i'd pray for her i'd pray for that and it really just hit me like best life ahead what does that mean and so um so the the best is also an acronym too. So Miles Monroe said, "Leadership is becoming yourself so that you can benefit others," and I love that. And of course, I love Miles Monroe. Um, and so the B is become yourself, be who you're supposed to be, because you're here to benefit others. Do the work, right? E is execute. Mm-hmm. You know, execute around that mission of who you know you're supposed to be. S is strategic stewardship. Stewardship. Have a plan, a strategy, work the plan, and steward it. Now, some of the language I just shared, I got more from you than what's in the book. So, but, but that's the basics of, of what that S is. And then T is trustworthy or trust. Yeah, it's trustworthiness. So being trustworthy, what's another word for trustworthy? Faithful. So yep. being trustworthy, um, the first thing, I think one of the basic fundamentals that I got from Stephen Covey about trustworthiness is being, you know, or being faithful and dependable is making and keeping commitments. Can you make and keep commitments to yourself? You know, how many times do you set goals or, you know, things for yourself that you don't carry out? And then you doubt yourself more and more and more. How many times do you make a commitment to someone and you don't follow through on it and they just give up on you, right? So, trustworthiness being trustworthy and dependable is another word for faithfulness is what being faithful is being being able to make and keep commitments in other words those principles that are summed up with that acronym best is the way to achieve the best life ahead uh-huh. right yeah, so absolutely I, I get that man that so you've got the spiritual food yeah of you know spirit-led soul-fed body dead 
This is who you are and how you were made. Now go do this. Yep. Become yourself. Execute. Develop strategies to steward all those gifts and talents yep. you have and be trustworthy with it. Be, mm. be, be able to be counted. I can only imagine that this works really good. If you sit down and really work through this, this has got to work really well, man. Have you used it, Paul? I I, I hope I have. It, <laughs> it works then. Yeah, yeah. I you know, Amy, um. <laughs> when I was writing the book, I took it, you know, took it to the beach. We go to the beach every year with my family for Thanksgiving and the biggest blessing that I've ever gotten from anything anybody said about the book was Amy was reading the manuscript and she'd only gotten through a little bit of it. Um, and, I, so I, I was sitting on the beach with her and I said, what do you think? What do you think so far? And she just said, well, I see it every day and I can't even say i mean that blessed me more because she lives with me every day she sees the good bad and the ugly and so i think you know but i'm also i fail at it every day too (laughs) you know there's things i live out and i'm you know like wow yeah this i'm being intentional today about this and then there's things that i go really you still dealing with that (laughs) so uh well that's that's what i love about that's why you know I, i trust your counsel so much paul is because there are there are a lot of people, but there are also a lot of people that aren't doing what you're talking about. And, and what th- this is something that I make a promise to to anyone who listens to me or comes and participates in one of our missions or whatever, is I am not going to teach you anything from theory. I'm not going to teach you any principle that I just sat around and thought about and then articulated it, articulated it in a way that it sounds really good, and it sounds like it would work, but I haven't done it. Like okay. one of those ultra marathon programs. Right? <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. That's what I'm saying, man. Yeah. It, it, it's just it's uh, it's essential that you don't teach from theory. And another thing is, by the way, y'all don't get you, you don't get anything from me. There is nothing new under the sun. And even though you might get things from me and like directly from me, right? Understand that there there are no new concepts on earth when it comes to mindset, when it comes to achieving, when it comes to being a awesome human being. Um, a lot of the things that I teach, I discovered them on my own, but there were multiple humans along the course of human history that discovered the exact same things mm-hmm. that I'm teaching. Mm-hmm. There is nothing new under the sun. And, uh, you know, we all should learn from each other. Put these things into practice, apply them, figure out how to use them, how they work, build a testimony around them, and then go out and share them, man, and share them with passion and share them in your own unique way. That's the beautiful thing. When Paul says he learned something from me, obviously it's not a new concept. Paul knows that's not new to him. But then he takes what he does get from me and my missions, and he shares the same concepts in his own unique Paul Wilder way every time. To his people. To his people. That's exactly right. He takes them, he uses them, he builds a testimony around them, and then he shares them. And there's none of this bull crap about, hey, man, let me. do you care if I teach somebody this thing that you taught me? It's like, 
I wouldn't have told it to. I wouldn't even have said it if I wouldn't have wanted you to go and teach it. And well, Paul, I know you feel the same way absolutely. about the stuff you teach in your book, man. Yeah. And if you go build your own testimony around it, you're not sharing anything that that's yours, anyways. You say, "Hey, I just did this, and this is where it worked for me." Yeah. 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 I agree. Um. All right, we got uh we got two more parts coming up on uh, now we're on part four discipleship and devotionals. Now, I don't know, I don't know what's going on with this chapter. <laughs> I haven't read it yet. Discipleship and devotionals. This was interesting to me as I was going through the contents, and then right after that is a whole list of daily devotionals. Yes. Um, how did this find its way into your book, man? So we start with, you know, after the spirit-led, soul-fed, body dead, I got a quick fix-it, which is school improvement. Yeah. Um, I mean, it started from that, but it's anything in life. What's your focus? What's your intent? Uh, so what are you going to focus on? What are you going to intentionally do? And then how are you going to examine it, examine it or dig into it, x-ray, and see how it's going? And you have to have integrity and trust around that process. So it's just like a kind of a metaphor, I mean, a acronym that helps somebody lead a team or lead yourself through challenges or focus and then you get into the daily devotionals and the discipleship things some of them are just generic things like rpm read pray meditate that's something you ought to do every day you ought to read the word you ought to pray you ought to meditate on the word of god so when i say meditate i'm not talking about um and it, there's nothing wrong with it. i think you ought to quiet your mind and meditate that way but um what i do is i sit and meditate and mutter back to myself the word of god um, and try to renew my mind to the Word of God, that Romans 12 too. So there's a little section about that. There's like the three Ds, and one of those you hate is discipline. But I, but I call this, I shouldn't say you hate it. I, I call discipline self-control. Basically, it's another word for self-control. So, yeah. you know, you decide what you're going to do. You discipline yourself. Um, you, you put parameters and put things in place in your life that help you do that. And then you, you are um, diligent. You yeah. diligence for me is working hard at the right things in the right way consistently. You know, hard work is one thing. Diligence is making sure that hard work is around things that matter and you're doing it consistently. So, you know, the, dis the discipline thing, that's an interesting conversation. And for me, I, I, I have a, I have a strange perspective on this because when you are, when you are on and actively engaged in the mission that God has designed for your life, you don't feel like you have to be disciplined because every day you're doing what you want to do. I mean, every day I wake up, I'm doing what I what I want to do. Now, I'm doing work, but it's what I want to do, and I never feel like, oh, man, I have to go to the office today. I have to go to uh, sit on the computer and do this. It's, it's like, no, man. I like the way you put it. Discipline is actually um, correlates with self control because self control is something yeah. that is a necessary aspect of running ultra marathons, um, being healthy physically, uh, spiritually, being married, mentally. Yeah, I mean all all yeah. that. Yeah. yeah. So, discipline, so discipline for has me, a weird like, definition. Yeah. Yeah. I think when you were talking about it, when I heard the first time I heard y'all talk about it, and you were talking about that. In the concept of what you're talking about, I totally agree. But I think what I mean, like what you, it's like people talking about, like I get up at 4.30, but I get up at 4.30 for a reason. You're not more disciplined because you get up at 4.30 versus 7.30. It depends on when the work that matters to you starts, yeah, right? Yeah. So so 
from that perspective, I felt like that's what you were kind of saying. You know, there's not some great thing that we call discipline where you're regimented and you do this that this way but it, it looks different for different people but see that's but but that's what's being sold in most circles yeah is you're right you want you want to achieve this specific goal you want to achieve this specific mindset you better hit all these wickets right and that's what most people view as as discipline is oh if i can hit if i can be disciplined and hit all these wickets i'm going to be able to achieve this thing that i want to achieve what does that leave out what you said earlier then why do we want wickets from other people what do we usually do we go look at and i'm not gonna name anybody but you, we go look at this person and we say what did they do and somebody writes a book about them with their permission to yeah. tell you what all they did well that's them you might not be able to do it that way that's right amy and i talk about raising children I've talked to Blake about principles about raising children, but I don't tell him how to do it. We've yeah. talked about different things. Like people say spanking or not spanking or and all these different, very specific things. And I'm like, are you even a parent? You had to have some level of courage that you have the gifts and talents in you to execute. It's fine to read other people's ideas and those kinds of things, but you have to have some level of confidence that, that you've got in you what you need to be yeah. able to do stuff. And so I think, you know, I, I totally agree. These There's no magic bullet to anything. That's right. That's right. Well, and go ahead, Blake. I think you hit the nail on the head with saying regiment. I think people think discipline equals regiment. And they say, if this dude's successful, what was his regiment? And let me plug myself into it. And if I can be disciplined enough to stick to his regiment, then I right. can get what he achieved. And it's easy to sell. Yeah, it's mm -hmm. it's easy to sell that to people, right? Because you can give them a list. What percentage uh, of people at the end of that regiment are just excited that they finished it, and then all of a sudden, right back to yeah, yeah. I, I agree, man. Another thing that you said that really stood out to me is trust and have integrity around the process, and um, you know that's another thing that people really. They, they they really are missing out on this, man, of understanding and having trust in the process that you have to endure in order to get to where you want to be, whatever that may be, whether it's an ultra run, whether it's business, whether you, 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 you get to a point where you don't trust the process, right? So you just quit. You just stop you just stop trusting that this obstacle you're facing is literally part of a process that I believe was designed specifically for you, right? My process to become a SEAL. I, I believe that I was created to be a US Navy SEAL from the age of eighteen to the age of thirty. I believe that I was literally that's what I was created to do for that block of my life. Now because I am who I am for whatever reason, God knew that I couldn't, he couldn't just send me to that SEAL training right off the bat. And, and I, he knew I wasn't going to be able to achieve that thing that I was, that he had created me to do for that block of my life. Right. So he had to take me through a significant process just to get to that place. That, that was what the heart surgery was all about. That was what, being told no, it, that was all part of that process specifically designed for me. And what happens is when you're enduring that process, 
you're going to get to a point where everything and everyone and everything that's going on is telling you, you, you got to, you got, this ain't for you. You got to get on out. You got to find something else to do, man. For me, that was when I was told no and sent home that I had something wrong with my heart, right? Now, that's where most people stop, right? What you guys don't understand, if you will just push through that segment, when you come out on the other end of that, wherever that hits for you in your process, when you come out on the other end of that, you will be in a place where you literally can no, you cannot deviate from that process. Even It's like your free will has been taken from you. If you'll just push through that segment where everybody else quits, mm. on the other end of it is this magical place in your process where you cannot physically, mentally, like I mean this in literal terms, you can't deviate from it. Nothing in the world can stop you short of somebody putting a freaking bullet through your head and killing you right sounds kind of like a rocket you know that we send this rocket up to space but then once it gets in space it's in an orbit and in a pattern where there's very little energy needed because it's where it's supposed to be and where and you know dale carnegie tells a story of this guy i don't even remember what years it was but it was you know probably early 1900s, late 1800s, and he bought this property knowing by studying all these maps. He knew geologically there's oil down there. He needs to drill, and he drilled, 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 spent all his money on drill and all this stuff, and just finally just gave up. So, And he sold all of his equipment. The guy he sold the equipment to, very, like two weeks into drilling, you know, became a billionaire. And um, and so that was in the one of his books. That was the principle is, you know, and you talk about it like, when you talk about, you know, the coldest time, right? And the mm-hmm. worst time mm-hmm. is right before daybreak, right? So a lot of times we get into that dark moment right before. Like it looks like it's no way this process is going to produce the fruit we want it to. And then boom, the sun comes up, right? If you just endure, you know. So we have examples of it in the natural world. I'm sitting here telling it to you. And maybe, maybe you can't even maybe you don't believe this because it does sound it does sound really confusing to think that you can be on a journey that you don't even have the free will to deviate from but i'm telling you i have felt this in my life people ask me all the time how did you how did you keep going you know how how did you keep going in in uh, along that process and it's the only answer i can give them is I literally had no choice after I came out on the other end of that operating table. No choice. And it's an amazing place to be. I can only think, I mean, that was the the most clearly defined time that I've ever experienced that in my life. So this is only, I've only been in this place in, in this one scenario in my life, right? Um you know, and, and with this mission, a three of seven project, you know, I, I have, I haven't felt it the same way here yet that I felt it then, because I don't know that we, 
as a ministry, as a company, as a business, I don't know that we've hit that point in our process where all of a sudden everything around everything around us has been propelling us forward up to this point. There's going to be a point in this process yeah. that everything is going to say, you're an idiot, right? And, and we'll have to make a choice then, either to just... Because you can, when you hit that point, you can. You're still at a place where you can steer one way or the other. We'll have to make a choice. Then we'll see what choice we make when that happens. It may be 20 years from now. <laughs> you don't know. Yeah. But coming out on the other end of that is when you experience that, whatever you want to call it, that magical place that nobody believes in. <laughs> <laughs> so, I love that, man. Well, Paul, this has been a Awesome conversation, man. Where can people go to uh, get a copy of your book? So um, the uh, Amazon, it's on Amazon. And then so if you look it up on Amazon, look up Donald Paul. I go by Paul Wilder, but I put, it's my full name, Donald Paul Wilder. And uh, so if you put in Donald Paul Wilder, True, True North would come up there. And then I have a website, uh, dpaulwilder.com. Um, you can order it on there if you want a signed copy. Um, it's going to get to you faster at Amazon because I don't have any secretaries. But um, mm-hmm. if you want a signed copy, I've actually been able to send them all within a day. So I've done pretty good so far. But I'm not a, you know, I, I wrote this book just, uh, you know, I, I, yeah, it just sounds weird for you to call me an author. Um, you know, I, only author I know is Jesus, the author and finisher of my faith. So I just feel, you know, it feels weird, but I, I'm excited. I feel like you know, the last part's the 31 days of devotional. Yeah. And, you know, all of this started, that was originally I thought I might just write a devotional book, um, but I just didn't feel comfortable with that. And so uh, I do send a devotional out every day on Facebook and I send it in a couple of text groups and stuff. So um, that website has a few other things on it, but it's uh, – it's mostly just where you can go and order the book. Gotcha. But Amazon's the quickest probably. So Yeah, and I'll link that in the show notes of this episode. And for the people that don't know how to access the show notes, I feel sorry for you. Just click <laughs> on this episode details and the show notes will pop up. You probably never even knew that they were there, but every episode there's there's a a few paragraphs that you can find that tells you what the episode's about. Where you can find the the person in this case, Paul, they were interviewing. Where you can find them on social media, where you can buy True North. Um, this it's uh, there, and then right under that, there's a thing that gives you the link to our website, the link to where you can sign up for the proving grounds, the link to where you can apply for the basic course, the link to where you can watch this on YouTube. I hate giving you guys all that stuff because I like people to figure stuff out on their own, but. I'm just being nice. So we give you these show notes. Huh. Click, look at them. That's Chad being nice to you. You've lost the warrior spirit Fe- today. Feeding you a silver on a silver spoon from a silver from a golden platter. Well, on a platinum spoon. On a platinum spoon. Exactly where you can access not only everything that Paul has to offer, but everything that 307 Project has to offer at this time, at least the stuff that's open to the public. We do do some stuff that is not open to the public. That's black ops stuff. That's black ops, man. That's some SOG stuff right there. If you can't find the show notes, you ain't even fitting to get into that. 
<laughs> I love it, brother. You, I tell you, Paul, you've done a wonderful work, man, and I'm glad we sat down and had this conversation because uh, it fires me up to uh, to open up my copy of True North and to dig into it. And I love how you've written it in a way that you can uh, actually just dig into certain portions of the book as a standalone portion. Um, there's a lot of content in here. I mean, this is a this is this is this is hefty. I mean, compared to what I think I would write, I feel like my mom would be about half of this. But um, I love that you can break it down into segments as standalone segments and dig into that and use it as a study tool to go back and actually study it like you would in the Bible. It's the same mm-hmm. way we read the Bible, right? The Bible's so big, but it's broken down into a way to where there are portions of it that you can just go in and study on a certain topic if you're dealing with a certain issue. Yeah. Right, I love that man. I love the way you 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 broke it down like that. Well, you need to go buy a book because everybody needs a Paul Wilder in their life. Yeah, and we've got the living one, but not everybody can have that. That's true. So, True North, I guess, is probably the next best thing that they could get, ain't it, Paul? <laughs> hey, I hope so. That two thirty can't go, but that you can't stretch it, but so thin, can you? That's right. Two <laughs> thirty, isn't that what it was? Yeah, what? that's right. Two thirty. 230 pounds. Oh, okay. Yeah, it can't, it's weight. It can't stretch it by so thin, really man. Yeah. We, get, we get 10 pounds a piece, and the rest of it goes to his family. When That's he right. gets down to 200, it's going to be even less of it. That's right. <laughs> no, I, you know, I, in writing this book, that you said it well. I think uh, it's not – I think a book you could write is – the kind of stories you could tell are amazing. And it was so funny, Amy and I talked about – you know, even comparing, like, you know, I said, you know, there's not a lot in that book about me because I don't have, you know, a lot of stories that I think would really, you know, mean something to people. But the stories that you tell, the the reason they're so awesome is because they're tied to principles. And so I love those. And so I think, uh, I think you could write a book about three times that size. And, uh, and I'm excited to see what what you're going to be able to do with that. And I just, I encourage you to just stay true to yourself. And one of the things I, you know, I think I I could, if I, if I write another book, you know, one of the things will be just to not be in a hurry. Um, Because I I think it was easy to finish writing it. And I think it was finished when I, it's finished, but there's some things I could have done a better job on. There's, I mean, when you read it, there'll, there'll be some things in there you'll see that, oh yeah, I miss that. But um, uh, mostly with some of the editing and things, but Overall, you know, one of the biggest things that I would encourage people, there is nothing, like you said, nothing new under the sun. You know, the Bible teaches us that um, everything was made by him and for him was everything made, right? And so if there's anything in there that is not like just solidly rooted in something here, I failed. And uh, and so, you know, those of you out there who are already believers, I think it's it's a discipleship book. It's a yeah. book that I think, you, you, like I say, you can take and uh, get a little bit of pieces here and there. But, I, you know, I do. I want my wife, Amy, and uh, I've got four kids. They, uh, they were the reason that that stuff needed to come out in a way that made sense yeah. for me. And so uh, hopefully it'll be a blessing to people who – who have an opportunity to get it. And uh, thank you for taking the time. You know, you guys are uh, mean a lot to me. I, uh, I listen to every podcast. I'm, I'm behind a little bit right now, but I did. I even listened to some of the most recent one. And uh, 
I'm just, I'm blessed by the work you guys are doing and three of seven, uh, completing yourself by being focused on being, having the integrity, spirit, soul, and body is, uh, is a message that will never grow thin or wear out. So I'll keep getting it. Well, we love you, brother. We appreciate you contributing in such a big way to everything that we do and coming and sitting down and having this conversation with us today. I'm sure you guys will hear Paul on the podcast again as we continue mission. We do cool stuff together. We run races together. We do life together. So, um, yeah, get used to hearing him. We love you, brother. This is the 3 of 7 podcast. Enough said.